Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> the worst titty discs. <laughs> it not get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another galactic Operation Horrific Stormtastic episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your galactic fanholes on the call tonight, but I am not alone. I've got my fellow avenging fan holes with me here on the call why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight hey it's mike and i can't wait to talk about marvel's avengers in galactic storm <laughs> hey this is justin and i'm a jerk in space so yeah it's it's uh damn man it's 30 years 30 <laughs> years since Operation Galactic Storm, the the epic, uh, you know, 19-part 90s crossover event that went through all the Avengers titles has come out. And since it's the 30th anniversary, as as we've been apt to do with anniversaries, this, this was something that we all kind of decided we should not give the short shrift and, and kind of go over and everything. So so we're going to talk about this whole saga, basically. I mean, some stuff we might go through a little faster, some issues we might go through a little faster than others. But, I mean, this, to me, I mean, this this is a a pretty epic storyline. I think, I think it made good use of the, I don't know, the editorial regime or, or, or the fiefdom of the Avenger titles or whatever. Because sometimes, you know, you had these annual event books and it was a four part saga. And you're like, what the fuck does the Punisher have to do with the guardians of the galaxy? You know what I mean? Like it just didn't make any fucking sense, but at least with this, right. You had all these solo Avenger titles and then all the Avengers books. And it kind of made sense that they were taking part in this giant spacefaring kind of crossover event. So I think, I think we'll just get into it. Comics Avengers in Galactic Storm. Hopefully, some of these synopses don't take too long, but we'll we'll go through it issue by issue. So the the original crossover 
part one is Captain America issue 398. The cover date was March 1992, but the on-sale date was January 7th, 1992. The cover price was a whopping $1.25. The title is called It Came From Outer Space. The writer was Mark Grunewald. The editor was Ralph Macchio. The penciler, Richard Levins. The inker, Danny Bulandi. Letterer, Joseph Rosen. And colorist, Christy Scheel. Rick Jones wakes from a dream where the Kree are destroyed and Captain America turns into the supreme intelligence. After talking with the Pantheon's precog, Delphi, he decides to warn Cap. Cap and John Jameson leave to meet with Rick, but John is antagonistic during the flight to Cap's surprise. During the meeting, Warstar of the Imperial Guard attacks Rick. While Cap battles Warstar, Rick escapes, only to be captured by two other Imperial Guard members. They plan to use him against the Supreme Intelligence. Meanwhile, the Supreme Intelligence creates Supremor, a robotic surrogate. He plans to form the Kree Star Force to further his plans for the Kree Empire. Dun dun dun. And that pretty much is operation galactic storm part one this is the the issue that kicks everything off we're, we're pretty grounded at this point we've got some alien invaders and everything but we haven't quite gotten to all the epicness other than rick jones's dream but i guess i don't know to kick this off like i know i was reading this at the time like i collected all of these i bought these off the comic store shelves like this was one of the few multi-part events like I, I i have to preface this by saying i kind of hated most of these like gigantic events that crossed over that were like 18 and 19 chapters like it it pissed me off that you know i liked ghost rider but i didn't want to buy the fucking dark hold you know like that kind of stuff made me mad but this i don't know it, it like i said it seemed to work for me and it seemed to make sense that all the titles were interconnected and I'm willing to bet I was buying most of these, and if I wasn't, I had at least collected some of the titles before. If I wasn't, like, regularly picking up Cap or Iron Man or, you know, Thor or whatever it was, at some point I had, so I wasn't completely blind, you know, coming into it or whatever. But what about you guys? Like, I, I kind of got the vibe, like, you might have read some parts of this, but maybe this is the first time you're reading the entire story from the beginning. Yeah, pretty much. I, I started buying Avengers month to month slightly before this issue, but I've never actually read every issue of Operation Galactic Storm, and I've never read this issue, the part one before, so this was kind of interesting. I didn't realize Rick Jones was involved for like the first, what, two or three issues, and it's, you know, it seems kind of fitting, and he even kind of points it out that, you know, he was connected to this, the Kree Scroll War, and he... <laughs> I think he even has a line. He says something about he doesn't want to be like involved in the sequel, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, I, I kind of had no idea Rick was involved in this. Like Rick, he, he he's one of those characters. He has such a weird like comics history because you know he's a Hulk sidekick. He was palling around with Captain America for a short period of time, and he he you know he wanted to be Bucky, but Cap was never gonna let that happen he was still like seeing ghosts of bucky like every other issue and then you know he got involved with captain marvel and all that and that's his involvement in with captain marvel is why we're seeing him in these early issues which we'll find more out 
about that later on. But but yeah, it was interesting to see this first issue because, like you said, it is really grounded. Like we're you know <laughs> we're on Earth and we're not going to really spend a whole lot of time on Earth. Like most right, of this right. crossover takes place in space. Mm-hmm. What about you, Mike? Had you had you read this before? Am I am I off? Have you read the entire? galactic storm or are you coming to some of these new for the first time and other things you're pretty familiar with i i had read all this before but not like uh, i think i had read the what ifs based on galactic storm before i read galactic storm ah, itself okay but okay maybe okay. yeah maybe a few years ago i the two trades like it's in two volumes like they were like on sale at some comic store so i bought both of them and that's when i read the whole thing and I remember being pissed off because like, I remember in the second trade, some of the pages were out of order. Mm. So like I was like, oh, man, like so you suck, Marvel. Like, you I thought, thought you're going to say I, I was pissed off because people didn't die as frequently as they did in that. What if? Yeah, I know. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every other like, page, like, somebody died. dies. Like, or it was a, like a record, like Spider-Man dies on the like fifth page in that. Yeah. Like, my, yeah, my, I think my what, what, who was it? Oh, my, my favorite part about that whole, like, what if? Because we're really not going to talk about it. I just want to espouse this. My favorite part is, like, basically the twist in the what if, right, is that the the Kree, like, emperors or whatever they are, like, foil the plans of the, the supreme intelligence. And they basically, like, have a code word to stick a virus in them so that he's out of the picture. And then instantly they bomb Earth. And I think my favorite is in that that double page spread you're talking about where Spider-Man is instantly dead or whatever. Like my my favorite panel is the one of like Kazar crying as all the dinosaurs are like atomized or whatever. Like, I don't know why that just cracks me up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, you know, Spider-Man's like holding Mary Jane like as she dies. And, you know, it's like the X-Men are all together and Kazar's crying about the dinosaurs. Yeah. But. But no, like I, I've read all this before, and I think I read like I might have read some of the tie-in issues of Iron Man even before that, just because you know I I had read like all of that run of Iron Man. But yeah, like this this is not new to me. Like I, it's been a while since I've revisited it. But like yeah, yeah, I don't I don't have a whole lot of notes on this particular issue. I mean, it certainly kicks things off. It it introduces the you know the Shi'ar aspect of the 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 you know the 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 whole the whole thing about operation galactic storm as justin kind of pointed out is you know rick kind of jokingly calls it the sequel and and it's a sequel to you know i guess the kree scroll war but in this in this instance it it's turned a little on its head where it's it's the kree shiar war like that's kind of how it was sold in all the solicits and and kind of the preambles and all that kind of stuff and so you've got War Star here. It's a uh, Beanie and Cecil, you know, basically like attacking Captain America and Rick Jones, and like that kind of reminds me of the old, the old X Men Toy Biz figure from like the Phoenix Saga. Like I feel like he was one of the, the giant. You know, the, there were certain figures in that wave in the Phoenix Saga wave that were kind of always peg warmers, and I feel like nobody cared too much about war star but i i it does it does remind me of like you know it's it's the first of many instances where they're they're trying to i don't know paint the avengers titles with a little bit of that that x-men sheen because of how popular those titles are i think they're hoping that some some superficial elements that that spill over into these titles would 
would help raise its profile, which is is interesting too. You know, given current events, right? The fact that you're you're looking at you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe and and how popular that made the Avengers and everything like that. Whereas back here, it um you know it, it's like the Avengers were not were not the hottest book you know in 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 comics or whatever but th- this this book in and of itself i thought was i don't know for me it's it was it was kind of exciting and then along those lines like it, it must be funny for people that all they know is well i don't know if they'd ever read this if all they know is the the movies you know the marvel cinematic movies but but maybe if you've become more accustomed to the the storylines in those like it must be amusing to see peggy carter just kind of as a little old lady like doing the you know she's like one of the avengers kind of pit crew basically like she does kind of the monitor duty and you've got like john jameson there as one of the pilots and all that kind of stuff i kind of i kind of thought one of you guys were going to ask me what the deal with john jameson was but i i guess nobody nobody has but um i guess he's butt hurt because um it's it's a stupid subplot where he drops diamondback off at i think I don't know. He drops her off at home or something like that. But as she's getting out of the car, he like kisses her on the cheek or something. And then Diamondback's like, ew, why did you do that? And then and then he's like, oh, duh, I'm a dummy. Like, why did I do that? And like, it's supposed to be this like romantic tension subplot thing. And then, you know, I think Diamondback's like, I didn't give him any signals that I wanted him to do that. Did I? And then like she gets kidnapped by crossbones. So they don't really have time to you know, explore it or whatever. And of course, Cap goes off to space, so he doesn't have time to explore it. But it was something that was going on before all this sort of went down or whatever. And then I I thought it was funny that that Rick Jones kind of makes the day the Earth stood still reference when it comes to Warstar. You know, he's like, Cap, Gort here is busting my ribs, you know. So, like, I thought that was kind of cool. Gort, Matu, Barada, Nick Toe. I thought it was funny that like Rick is like, oh, me and Cap like, you know, had a falling out or something like we haven't talked in a while, like since I was like pretending to be Bucky or whatever. And I was like, like, holy shit, that must be what, like 20 years of comics like they Surely they've encountered each other like between then. Right. Like, I, 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 I think it's more like a long term grudge or something or 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 that they don't they i don't know to me it seems like they probably never sat down and had the talk like they're having in that diner at least like like they probably hung out in the kree scroll war but you can't read that thing and tell me it's like super cohesive right it's not like it's not like rick jones and cap had a a man-to-man moment in the kree scroll war right like so i don't I don't know. I I, I mean, I, I I didn't sit down and like track Rick Jones' trajectory, but I don't remember. You know, to me, I I think of him as either, you know, he's he's Captain Marvel's alter ego. So if Cap was dealing with, you know, Captain Marvel, then he wouldn't really be dealing with Rick Jones. And then after that, I mean, it's it's back to him being you know, ostensibly, you know, the Hulk supporting cast or the Hulk sidekick and the Hulk. I mean, at least, you know, in the the Marvel Comics era that we're talking about, never got along with the Avengers after, you know, the first two issues. So kind of by 
you know, if my girlfriend's a vegetarian, that pretty much makes me a vegetarian. Like if the Hulk is avoiding the fuck out of the Avengers, that pretty much means Rick Jones is avoiding the fuck out of the Avengers. Like, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's, that's my gut answer, but I, I don't, you know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't do any major research to back that up. Rick stayed pretty busy, actually, like in between, you know, running around with the Hulk and Captain Marvel. I mean, he had a music career and then in the 90s, he was like a talk show host, right? And I think he even wrote a book about yeah, that's right. Some of his he's, adventures. He's talking about the book in this issue and yeah. Cap's like, I didn't, I, you know, I skimmed it, but I didn't have time to finish it. So, I mean, he, he stayed pretty busy. And then I guess the only major like encounter that would stand out in my mind would be Marvel's funeral. But it's not like they're going to, you know discuss bad blood between them at a time like that i'm sure i'm sure cap was like you know sorry for your loss but it's not like they're gonna sit down and you know discuss that at that specific point well and and i i guess i mean we 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 may come to this at the very very end but it might be a good time to to just touch on this is like there's a lot of bad blood between tony stark and steve rogers and it's been years and they don't really touch on it or have a a man-to-man conversation about it until the very end of this crossover and i mean that that had been since the armor wars so Mm -hmm. i mean you know i mean i i i know what you're saying mike that 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 the rick jones kind of thing is is way longer right than the than the armor wars thing but still like there is some stuff where they just they you know some sometimes shit went down in these comics and they never you know, they never had a denouement. They never had a, 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 a satisfactory resolution, probably because they thought that, you know, they wanted to hook the kids and have it lead into subplots for each issue and eventually deal with it. But sometimes when you do that, you know, it's like any fan of what Claremont X-Men, right? There's all these subplots that like fall to the wayside and don't get dealt with until 10 years later. Right. So. Yeah, I just thought it was funny because I was like, holy shit, man, like surely like you guys have like, you know, had like had some kind of team up or interaction, but but I guess not. All right, I guess we'll we'll try to keep this galactic storm Quinjet ride going. We'll go on to part two of Galactic Storm, which is Avengers West Coast issue number 80. The cover date was March 1992, on sale date January 7th, 1992. Again, the cover price was 125 The editor was Nelson Yamtov. The writer, Roy and Dan Danette Thomas. Penciler, David Ross. Inker, Timothy Dazon. Letterer, Joseph Rosen, colorist, Bob Sharon, and the title is Turn of the Century. Kind of a witticism there from Roy Thomas, because it's not century, it's the Cree century. You know, it's clever, clever pun on words there. Rick Jones is mesmerized by Oracle to lead the Imperial Guard to the hidden Cree outpost where he originally acquired the Nega Bands. Meanwhile, Captain America has contacted the Avengers West Coast for help. From a payphone, you guys. A payphone. 30 years. 30 years old. It was from a payphone. Uh, what's a payphone? Exactly. 
They track the Identicard. Cap gave Rick to the Cree outpost. The Avengers West Coast arrive just in time to save Rick from crossfire between the Imperial Guard and the Cree Sentry, recently activated by the arrival of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard members. The Avengers get caught up fighting both sides of the Kree-Shi'ar conflict, eventually destroying the Sentry with the help of a laser cannon found in the armory. The Sentry's defeat triggers the outpost's self-destruct measures, and the Imperial Guard take the opportunity to escape with their target, a key component of Psyche Magnetron. Not about to let them get away clean, the Avengers contact Quasar to pursue the Shi'ar cruiser. Quasar doesn't quite catch them before they go to warp, and a mysterious black solar flare captures his more immediate attention. So that is that is part two of Operation Galactic Storm. Like I, I'm pretty sure I is this the which issue is this? Is the West Coast Avengers issue? Mm-hmm. Avengers. West yeah, Coast. like I, I'm pretty like this is one of those issues I just like read like like piecemeal because i was reading west coast avengers and i was like oh right like this is part of galactic storm and like i hadn't read anything like in or around this so i'd like i'd I'd probably read it and was like oh yeah they're in the middle of a big event like i don't know what the hell's happening but whatever like and the the you know the interpersonal relationships of the team were still like ongoing and stuff so that's probably what i focused on so and i think i joked to you it's like oh it's carlos like spanish jarvis he's still alive like right uh i thought i thought it was interesting you know because you know thomas is always about the the continuity porn and the history and all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, we, we had just, you know, not, not too long ago, we had discussed the death of captain Marvel on this show. And, and you know, there is among the other continuity references, you know, there, there is a brief panel that talks about how captain Marvel succumbed to cancer and that, you know, he, he was buried near Titan. And that basically that that's part of the plot of this, because I guess, the the idea he was buried with his negabands, I guess. So they're they're going to retrieve those and do some some kind of grave robbing or some such, right? Like so there's that aspect to it. And then I guess, you know, for for fans of the Legion of Superheroes, which the majority of Imperial Guardsmen are a kind of pastiche of or a nod to like at least in this issue the the main imperial guardsmen that we see are oracle tempest and electron and that's that's basically the founding members of the legion of superheroes it's saturn girl lightning lad and cosmic boy which i think is interesting because the cosmic boy kind of parallel you know he he kind of looks like a regular old chiar joe i guess if if you if you want to put that spin on it, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have a whole lot to like add, I guess, like uh, about the, like the, in this these early stages, I guess, like, I mean, I, I know I've read like this issue more more than once because just because I had read West Coast Avengers. But, you know, and then like, you know, they get Quasar to go chase him into space. And then I, I think, you know, I, I, obviously I don't I've never read Quasar's series, so. I mean, you know, I, I think the fight with the Kree Sentry is pretty cool. You know, they, you know, they, they make use of, of War Star again. And then there there is, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this helped influence it or whatever, but the, the weapon that U.S. Agent and Iron Man find in the armory 
does make me think of the, you know, proton cannon in Marvel versus Capcom, you know, a bit. Yeah, that is a cool bit. Like, I, I like how U.S. agents like, oh, like the robot is flinching. Like, we picked a good one, even though we don't know what it does. Like, you know. Right, right. You, you, you have anything on this one, Justin? I had never read this issue before either. It's always fun to see the crease entry. And I miss this version of Wonder Man. Like, you know, Wonder Man nowadays is like pacifist and doesn't mm. want to do anything. Or at least he was the last time he showed up. Yeah, I don't think he's actually shown up in quite a while. But, like, I miss this version of Wonder Man who could, like, you know, hang with everybody and take on a crease entry like it was nothing. Yeah. Also, like, this is my Spider-Woman. Yeah, yeah. So Agreed. seeing her again, okay. I'm glad I'm not like out in the cold. No, no, no. You, you, you're not, not at all. I have, I have like zero loyalty to. Uh, is that a thing, lady? Or what? <laughs> <laughs> well, like I always joke. It's like, hey, like Julia Carpenter was a single mom. Like, uh, you know, she had a cooler costume. Like, uh, like I don't know. Like, uh, she, uh, she seems superior in all ways to Jessica Drew to me. So I mean. Yeah. And like Jessica, like, I mean, Jessica Drew eventually had the, did the, like, you know, sort of single mom, like, storyline, too. And I'm like, you already had a Spider-Woman who did that. Like, but I guess Psywebs aren't as cool as what Derek would say, like, Firmarumarone powers. Firmarumarones. And also, like, Hawkeye and Mockingbird are, like, split up at this point. So they're kind of, like, sniping at each other, but... Isn't isn't Hawkeye trying to maybe make a move on Julia at this point? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So so he's he, he they were a thing before that other him and that other chick were a thing. Maybe yeah. Uh huh. He was right? trying to get with this Spider Woman before he tried First. to get with the Bendis Spider Woman. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, but it's Ben Bendis. It was a totally original idea when Bendis yeah. did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff. But what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Some like Thor or Captain America? Uh, both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice. Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar! Ah, oh, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that, that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? All right, let's let's do part three, which is, as we mentioned, Quasar 32, because they've asked Quasar to pursue that Shi'ar cruiser. The cover date was March 1992. The on-sale date, January 14th, 1992. The cover price, again, was $1.25. The title is The Tomb of Marvel. The editor, Kelly P. Corvisi. The writer, Mark Grunewald. Penciler, Greg Capullo. Inker, Harry Chandelario. Letterer, Janice Chang. Colorist, Joe 
Rosas. Quasar checks in with the Starcore station about the odd and potentially dangerous solar activity they've been monitoring. They decline his offer of evacuation, but he tells them to contact him immediately if things get worse. His next Avenger alert directs him to Marvel's tomb, which has detected a break-in. There, he meets up with Star Fox, also looking into the intrusion, and together, they find and confront the Kree agents, Dr. Minerva and Captain Atlas. The Kree are easily subdued, but then they're suddenly surrounded by what appears to be the entire Shi'ar Imperial Guard. In the ensuing battle, it's eventually revealed that most of the Shi'ar forces were illusions cast by magic and the three that were actually there are defeated. But the fracas gives Minerva and Atlas the opportunity to find what they came for, Marvel's Nega Bands. Captain Atlas dons the bands and clashes them together in hopes of harnessing their power, but only succeeds in swapping places with Rick Jones, who had otherwise been safe inside the Avengers' West Coast compound. Elsewhere, the Kree scientist Korath laments that the current government declined to fund his pursuer cybergenetic engineering project. Swearing to shake the Empire to its foundations, he subjects himself to the process to be reborn as Korath the Pursuer. So, I, I will say that I think, you know, I mean, I guess, you know, time has borne this opinion out, but I mean... Greg Capullo is probably like one of the the best pencilers in this entire crossover, but I'm I'm always sad that it it's like he did this issue and then he did some of the aftermath issues and he did some really nice covers, but the main parts of Quasar that deal with Galactic Storm he actually didn't do many of the interior pages, so I'm usually always kind of you know it's it's a I guess it's it's kind of a, a catch twenty two right it's like he, he he's a pretty awesome penciler, but then he doesn't pencil too much of this story. It kind of feels weird to me. I don't know how you guys think about him, but the main thing that comes to my mind is Spawn. Like not not his like previous stuff, mm. like none of that. I don't I don't know why. I guess I'm just I've just got that locked in my brain. So like when I was reading this and like I've actually never read this issue before either. So when I was reading this and looked at the credits, I was like, Greg Capullo, like holy cow. I mean, I I know he did stuff, lots of stuff before Spawn, but it's just, it's hard for me to like, I don't know, separate in that, separate that in my head thoughts. I, I don't know why, but yeah, he he does a really good job here. It it, it feels like Capullo early days, like it's his style here. I feel is mm-hmm. quite a bit different than some of his Spawn stuff. But that I'm not saying that as a uh, a detraction. I like I I enjoy this issue. I think it's really greatly drawn. Man, like. Going into Robin Marvel's tomb and just taking the negabands off the body like that. I mean, <laughs> these these guys do some scummy things, but that has to be like in the top five in my book. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I I mean, I, I, I all I can say is I I started collecting Quasar on a more regular basis because of Greg Capullo. So, I mean, I was I was pretty familiar just because I think I had checked out these issues because they were part of the crossover. But I kept reading the book. I I, I think I might have had a few issues before Galactic Storm. And then and then I kept reading through Galactic Storm. And then I think I stayed with the book until he left it, basically, which was not too long after this. I mean, it's like he he must have done this for maybe like 
six months to a year, somewhere around that time frame. But then not too long after that, that, you know, you had the whole image defection. And then eventually he started doing X-Force. And I read that book for a really long time, too. So like that's to, to I guess as a counter to you. Right. Like thinking you have the spawn kind of, you know, or, you know, something like haunt or even the new 52 Batman or whatever. Right. You've got yeah. like those kind of things locked in as as, you know, you see him kind of as he's evolved and what a lot of his art is like today. But I think I sort of followed him from Quasar and X-Force also so it was like i sort of you know i i don't know i either way i enjoyed the art and sometimes it was like you you kind of wondered when they when they picked up on these these hot guys they were immediately kind of cannibalized for the x books you know what i mean and i was always kind of like oh damn it like you know to me i was like oh this art's really good on quasar or you know if he had drawn the avengers the whole time i would have been like super stoked but that just wasn't you know, that that wasn't how that was going to go down is all. I don't think I read any of these Quasar tie-in issues because there's a character that's in some of the Quasar issues. She doesn't appear in any of the other books, and I had no idea she was even in this event at all because I never heard those Quasar issues where she's in. I was just like, oh, she's in this? Like, that's a weird character to show up, and I guess that shows my ignorance because, like, I've not read a whole lot of Quasars ongoing. Mm. I, I assume the character you're talking about, we'll, we'll talk about a little later, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I don't, I don't have too much about this other than, you know, this, this kind of kicks off one of the more funnier parts of the crossover that we're about to talk about with Wonder Man. But basically they, they do succeed in, in taking the Negabands because Captain Atlas dons them. So that's a pretty, uh, it's more of a key moment in this story. And then because Quasar is involved, you know, it, it does make it a little easier to sort of organically have the the characters, you know, travel into space and, and become more part of these, you know, galactic skirmishes that, that kind of kick off this whole Kree-Shiar type war. Yeah, I can, like, you know, Quasar in general is kind of a blind spot for me. Like, I only really encounter him, like, during an event or, you know, like when I was reading, like, you know, stuff like the Thanos imperative and like some of the annihilation stuff. So, like, I, I've never like it's not that I dislike Quasar. It's just I've never really had a like, you know, affinity for him or anything like I, I'm not a huge like space stuff fan and like, you know, cosmic Marvel fan. And I know you are, Derek. So but like, you know, all these Quasar issues, I think. Most of the like, especially like rereading this, I kind of tune out because, you know, they do kind of weave in a lot of stuff that was happening in his book, too. So, uh, yeah, that's true. I think also, I, think, I, I think it's interesting because so, some books chose to, you know, continue with the status quo and weave in this, the, you know, A, B and C subplots in and out. But then some books were just kind of like, oh, fuck this shit. And they, you know, the Galactic Storm was like part you know, the first half of the book and then the, the, the B and C subplot stuff got relegated to like a backup story or something. So, you know, I guess different different writers or different editors chose to do it in different ways. And Captain Atlas and Minerva, like I like there are a couple of villains, like whenever they show up, I'm, I, I don't know, like they like all I remember, like they kind of remind me almost of like the swordsman and Mantis almost mostly because mm, like Captain mm. Atlas kind of has the mustache and like he has and a that, similar that, to that mask. Headgear. Yeah. 
Yeah, so like in like whenever they show up, it's like I was like, oh yeah, like Captain Atlas and Minerva, like they're super horny for each other, and like they just you know <laughs> that's pretty much all I remember about them. They're always like, yes, woman, like you are super hot, like yeah, let's go defeat our enemies, and then we'll go make out in the spaceship or something. <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll jump over to part four, which is Wonder Man issue number seven. This had a cover date of March 1992, but it was on sale actually in January 14th, 1992. Same cover price, $1.25. The title is Shared Space. The writer is Gerard Jones. The penciler is Jeff Johnson. The inker is Dan Panoshin. The letterer is Patrick Brazou, or Brazo. The colorist is Joe Ro- Rosas, and the editor is Fabian Nicieza. Alternatively, the cover credits, the penciler is still Jeff Johnson, but the inker is Terry Austin. Captain Atlas has stolen Captain Marvel's Negabands in hopes of claiming their power, but the only thing he can manage to do with them is swap places with Rick Jones as Marvel once did. As Rick was in Avengers West Coast Compound at the time, this leads to Atlas bouncing between fighting Wonder Man and Quasar at Captain Marvel's tomb, with Rick helplessly stuck along for the ride. The heroes are confused and frustrated by being forced to switch between fighting Captain Atlas and protecting Rick Jones at a moment's notice. But Wonder Man eventually figures out his opponent's timing and succeeds in punching Atlas out the instant he zaps in. Later, the Avengers have both Captain Atlas and Dr. Minerva in custody and prepare to go on the offensive before the Earth can get further caught up in the Kree-Shiar War. Elsewhere, the revived Supreme Intelligence psychically contacts the exiled demon Druid to recruit him to his cause. The Intelligence dubs his new agent with a new name, Ultimus. And that is Wonder Man. I, I I really like this. I mean, I I guess because this was one of the books. I you know how I said some stuff I was reading, but maybe dropped out of and picked up just for the events of this crossover. Like Wonder Man was a book I started with issue one with, and I I continued to read you know up until and and beyond Galactic Storm. I always liked Jeff Johnson's pencils. I think the the cover inks by terry austin like they they look really nice and then even the interiors with dan panoshin look pretty pretty awesome like i love the the double page splash where wonder man finally ko's captain atlas you know the the shaka boom you know or whatever like that's pretty awesome and then there's a lot of interesting kind of i don't know that this kind of uh what do you want to call it? Soap opera e like romance type stuff in the background. You know, Simon Williams is trying to sort of forge his own life being an actor in Hollywood. And, you know, he's trying to forge new relationships and kind of get over the Scarlet Witch and everything. But then, you know, basically due to the events of, you know, the John Byrne run and, and Vision kind of becoming more of a android. I don't know, having having, you know, Williams's brain patterns and being married to the Scarlet Witch and all that due to their estrangement. And then there's the scene where, you know, Rick Jones is kind of constantly giving Wonder Man shit. They're they're doing this whole, you know, sort of 24 hour or 48 hours, you know, buddy cop riff or whatever, where they're they're you know, they're tango and cash or some shit, you know, this kind of antagonistic buddy kind of relationship or whatever. But 
when Rick gives Wonder Man enough shit, it's like even Wanda steps in and tries to defend Simon. And then that kind of makes him like kind of like, is she, you know, like, could could they rekindle something like could there still be something between them? And then it makes him question his, you know, he, he was kind of resolved like he had thought that that part of his life was done and over with like he had gotten over it but then he's he's constantly forced to dig up those feelings and you know so it's like i i you know especially as a young teenage boy like i could relate to those kind of kind of you know may, maybe they're not as important now as an adult but i mean they they certainly spoke to me at the time i was reading the book yeah like justin said earlier like i i have got an appreciation for wonder man too and like this might this might be like the most popular he ever was when he like you know he had an ongoing title yeah, yeah. and like you know he seemed like you know yeah like you said he kind of it was like later for this like mooning over Wanda shit like I'm gonna you know go out and have my own life and stuff and like you know that would that was the way it was for a while like I, I feel like you know like Justin said like Wonder Man in the last like you know probably couple decades now he's been like kind of cast to the wayside or made into a joke or a, I don't know. And his, his character almost, is, but... his char- he, he's gone from Jim shooter every five minutes declaring that he's second only to Thor being like one of the most important Avengers, like being a moral compass and all kinds of stuff. And, and to me, it seems like in the modern day, he was not only was he thrown to the wayside, but when they did choose to bring him back, it was to just assassinate his character. And, yeah. and, and like and not that they just forgot about him, but they wanted to, like, bring him back to ruin him so that no one would ever want to use him again. Like, that's 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 kind of what it feels like. But this is definitely not that. Yeah, and I know, like, you know, Brian used to joke that Wonder Man's never had a good costume or whatever, but I, like, I kind of like his look, like, in this, like, era, you know, I like that he's got the, like, you know, gloves and stuff, and, like, I don't know, he just, he looks like a movie star, almost, like, you know, he should be, like, you know, the Johnny Cage of the Avengers, kind of, but, like, you know, but maybe not, like, the jokey Johnny Cage, but, like, the one that has, you know, actual, like, cred. Well, it's interesting that you bring up like jokey because even though this is not written by Peter David, I I would be willing to say that, you know, one of the characters Peter David's most well known for writing is Rick Jones. Like you would almost say it's one of his, you know, pet characters or favorite characters or characters that appear most frequently in his written work. And I feel like there's some, you know, just the tone of this issue. Like it's like it's it's serious, you know, that people are in peril but there is that kind of sly witticism, the kind of kind of weird jokey thing with the whole nega. You know, it's like it, it, it's like it's like if Freaky Friday was like a big like action superhero slugfest. You know what I mean? So there's that weird aspect where it's like it's a slugfest. It's it, it's not treating that without its due seriousness. But there is that weird aspect where you you kind of feel like, oh, this is. There is an aspect about it that's amusing, you know, but but you still you still have that kind of, you know, fist pump moment where, you know, Simon's kind of like, all right, I think I got this figured out now. And then that's like the best use of the splash page where he times it and he just clobbers Dr. Atlas like that's like the best, you know, so I had read this issue before, but I had to like go back and 
look for it if I remember correctly, because like our next issue coming up is like the first issue in this whole crossover I read, which is actually like part five. So so like back in the day, I started with part five and I was like, oh, crap. And I went back and I managed to find Wonder Man, which I've always liked Wonder Man. And I read some of his ongoing, like definitely w- way more than Quasar. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but like I I've always had a, you know. A soft, a soft spot for the character, so I, he gets a good showing here. And I, as I was reading this, I was like, oh yeah, they do like the switcheroo, and you know, Wonder Man has to like get the timing right for this boss battle, and you know, get it just right, or if he doesn't, like Rick's dead. Yeah, I think I think to 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 date, this is the one that that I'm I was most exhilarated by, right? And and I think since I was reading this book on a regular basis, that probably was something that, you know, made me want to collect all the the chapters and and made me get into it and everything. But yeah, let's let's move on to Avengers 345, because this is this is kind of where things start getting, you know, the the things start kicking off and, and it's it's more into the outer space kind of aspect of this whole event. The Avengers 345's cover date was March 1992, but the on-sale date was January 21st, 1992. Cover price is still $1.25. The title is Storm Gatherings. The writer is Bob Harris. The penciler is Steve Epting. The inker and colorist is Tom Palmer. The letterer is Bill Oakley. The editor, Ralph Macchio. The East Coast Avengers rescue the crew of the Star Corps from a solar flare and run into a hostile Shi'ar fleet. They return to the Avengers meeting where they are brought up to speed on the situation. An intergalactic war is erupting between the Kree and the Shi'ar. Cap splits up the Avengers into three groups. One group will try to reason with the Kree Empire, made up of Cap, U.S. Agent, Iron Man, Crystal, Hercules, Black Knight, and Cersei. One group will try to reason with the Shi'ar, made up of Thor, Vision, Wonder Man, Scarlet Witch, Captain Marvel, Star Fox, and Living Lightning. And the third will stay behind to protect the Earth, She-Hulk, Falcon, Mockingbird, Spider-Woman, Hank Pym, the Wasp, Gilgamesh, and Hawkeye. However, Hawkeye takes on the role of Goliath, and replaces U.S. Agent on the Kree Envoy Avengers team. And that is Avengers. Issue 345. I have a, a Derek-level complaint. Okay. In our opening page here, which is really nice, why do these guys need the oxygen mask? Like, why you know does what? Quasar need one? He didn't have one previously. Why nope. does Vision need one? He's a robot. Why does Cersei need one? She's an Eternal. Like, they, why does... No. No, none of them need any of them, and you'll notice they only have the oxygen mask in, this issue? in the Avengers issues. Oh, like, yeah, like right. later, like you'll see Quasar has his little breather mask, you know, which again is like kind of stupid, right? Like to me, it doesn't make much sense. And then, and then the other thing too, like, well, but I'll mention it again because I love bitching about them, but. Basically, at some point, they they start drawing Cersei and Crystal with bomber jackets, and nobody knows where they came from. But at least, at least Bob Harris like put in a line of dialogue where it's like, "Yeah, Cersei whipped these up for maternal magic because the girls were cold," and it's like that's why they don't wear the jackets in any other issues and of the crossover, but this one, you know. But I, I I guess there was no line of dialogue to 
explain why they need breathing masks. And it's really the, the the only other thing that that might explain it though is maybe they're not using them for oxygen and they're using them for just radio communications. Like that might be the the no prize explanation. But I don't know that there's I don't remember there being any line about that. But you'll notice it does kind of look like there's there's like a little mic because that to me that you would think like well of course the vision doesn't need a breathing mask but he might need the radio to talk to all these guys in space right like if you're if you're doing the whole you know there's no sound in space like maybe they need the 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 radio communicators or whatever so Cersei was like gee it's a little chilly in the vacuum of space I better grab a jacket for me Crystal a bomber jacket yeah <laughs> yeah cl- clearly clearly she's not she's not affected in this page right like she's she's clearly all letting it uh, hang out and she's not bothered by the vacuum of space here but later it gets cold so you know man like like when we joke about Mr. Cap like I feel like this is like the this is like prime Mr. Cap, like, you know, mm, a prime yeah. Mr. Cap story. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, he's, he, you know, he's Cap. He's morally upstanding and stuff. But I mean, like, his complaints here are a little, like, I don't know, like, a bit much. Like, he's like, you know, oh, you guys threatened to kill them? Like, you threatened to that's, kill them. That, like, that's I'm my... Like, that that's my note. I probably should have picked that one for my screenshot because I think my note on on like the 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 look on his face in that in that sequence where he's like you what? Like my note on that is basically like that looks like like Cap got caught like you know, I don't know, like Kentaro Oe like, you know, like getting like, you know, caught licking the the toilet bowl or some <laughs> shit like that's how like outrageous his face looks you know like where he's like his eyes are so huge and his mouth is you know like and and it's funny too because of course you know u.s agent is like lapping it up and all that kind of stuff i don't it, this is weird i you, you know me i don't normally like ragging on art and artists like i think all of it has its place and everything but like i think this this is always held true for me. And I get why some people like it because some people look at Tom Palmer as the glue of the Avengers books in this era. Like even if you went from, you know, John Buscema to Steve Epting to, to whoever, if, if, if Tom Palmer's inking it, the whole run, it creates this sense of consistency, but man, Oh man, like, Tom Palmer, like the the key word about his inks, he overpowers the fuck out of anybody that's doing the pencils. And it's it's fucking crazy to me to think that you you were talking about how you're used to Greg Capullo, like in your mind, you know, Spawn comes to your mind when you think of Greg Capullo. And when I think of Steve Epting, I think of the fucking Winter Soldier arc in Captain America. Like I think of that that kind of arc and uh, it to me i think of uh you know the the book you had us read velvet and all this kind of stuff you know what i mean like i i think of stuff like that that's very noir very stylish like very almost smooth and 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 kind of you know you know i uh, maybe i can't do it justice but basically that's what comes to my mind and and every time i go back like i remember when i think we were going to heroes con and i was looking up like things for you to bring for Steve Epting or whatever. And I was like, holy shit, like Steve Epting drew this era of, of, you know what I mean? Like, and you just think about it and you go, man, like 
you know, again, it's like it's way more Tom Palmer style. You know what I mean? Like that just gets, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you 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 have a hot dog and and Steve Epting is a couple drops of ketchup. And then Tom Palmer comes in and dumps like the entire jar of relish, like all over the hot dog. There's a fucking mountain of fucking relish and you can't even you can't even find the hot dog anymore. You know? I, I really wanted to bring this issue for him to sign, but when I dug it up, it was so like I, I had read it so many times I was honestly like kind of embarrassed. Like I didn't want him to I didn't mm. want to bring like an old ready copy that was, you know, I mean it wasn't falling apart, but it it, it had seemed different. It had seen better days, and I was kind of surprised. I was just like, oh, I didn't realize this was that bad. Maybe I'll find something else. <laughs> it's funny. I think what I did when I had something like that was I, I bought a brand new copy of the comic, and then I showed the guy the beat-up copy. I don't know. That was my way of like, look. <laughs> Look, I'm not a poser, but here's a brand new nice one for you to sign too. So I I, I negated both problems, like in my mind. So So but. Mike, how do you feel about Hawkeye's change in this issue? Because like I remember thinking like this was really cool. Uh, we and Derek kind of discussed this like on the last episode of like Thunderbolts. Like, like I know this is like is this another like Roy Thomas won't let go of Hawkeye <laughs> being Goliath thing? Like because yeah, like I, I don't know. I never really like cared for Hawkeye being Goliath, and like I've never liked that costume, and I've never can, liked him wanting to be Goliath. So can, can we blame? Can we blame? Roy Thomas for this though I mean this is the Bob Harris issue yeah no I know but uh like maybe it's like Roy Thomas like whispering in his ear <laughs> yeah no 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 maybe <laughs> I mean I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying like because because we we don't know how collaboratively like I, I mean I, to me I think of those you know what they used to call the super summits like when they did the Superman books during the triangle era and they'd always talk about oh we had a big summit and we all met in a log cabin or whatever the fuck they did and they discussed like what are we going to do this this year in superman comics and oh we're going to kill superman or we're going to do what you know whatever they ended up doing right and i know they probably did something similar with like the batman books and stuff but then to me i i you would think like th there must have been something similar when they said look we're going to do this big you know, 19 part crossover called the galactic storm. They, they must have some kind of summit where, you know, people, I don't know if they all got together, but they must've at least had some kind of discussion over, you know, what they all were going to do. So you, you might not be wrong. I just, I just don't know of any particular evidence that, you know, that 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 would point That's, to yeah, that. It's like, I feel like Roy Thomas would speak up and say, "Could one of you change Hawkeye back to Goliath?" Because that's what I want to do in West Coast Avengers. Like, so I don't know, but uh, yeah, I, I don't like. Uh, I get like it's it's very in character for Clint to be like want to be in on the like what he sees is like the A team or whatever. So like that's that's fine, but like I don't know, like I feel like he could have probably like made his case to Cap and done it anyway like without having to be goliath so mike would you support a has labs clint barton goliath figure for four hundred dollars uh i don't think so no <laughs> damn what, what you if, sir what if tier three was like a maskless shirtless hawkeye like variant figure <laughs> yeah all right and it is like purple like skirt yep. costume or whatever mm. yeah and no i don't think what if, i would what if, 
What if dude, tier dude, four dude, was dude, a dude. crossing costume? Dude, uh, <laughs> oh, a, a maybe. A, a maybe. Crossing, what if it had a crossing costume and it had the the Avengers spotlight armor? Like that that could be one of the tiers too. <laughs> yeah, maybe I would do that. But tier it would have to be all of them. Tier five will be heroes reborn, Hawkeye. Poopy Hawkeye? Yeah. Poopy Brown <laughs> Hawkeye? Yeah. Uh, I, no, I would only do it if it was the uh, Avengers United We Stand cartoon Hawkeye. Like, he can be like that uh, $700 Optimus Prime, but instead of Peter Cullen, we can just press a button and he can be like, where's the Java? Where's the Java? Sikorsky! <laughs> I, I like uh, Scarlet Witch's little thought bubbles here like when cat's saying like who's on the teams she's like with the vision and simon i know she's kind of contemplating like the dynamics of that but i feel like she's contemplating (laughs) (laughs) is that is that like you trying to apply some watchman level logic to that where scarlet witch has uh fantasies about both of them with the vision and simon at the same time Star Fox is like, can I get in on that too? Like, <laughs> and then Vision shows up. He's like, I don't know what pleases you anymore, because he's all emotional and shit right now. I mean, I, I thought, I thought the 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 Black Knight transition line where he says, if I had to choose between an angry Scarlet Witch and a battle with little green spacemen, you know, and you think about how how powerful the Scarlet Witch can be, you know, it's like it, it kind of makes sense. Oh, there was also a, re- a reference to Dr. Corbeau, who I mainly remember from X-Men, but I, I think was also in the Hulk comics and stuff. He was one of the guys on the Star Corps space yeah, station. He, he seems to be a fairly reoccurring character. Yeah, like, yeah. A, like I see him in various eras of X-Men or yeah, like yeah. Avengers. So. Oh, also, I was wrong. Her appears in one panel of this issue. Yeah, so. yeah. That, no, that's fine. But But I mean... We, we we can we can get into it probably eventually. They also they also introduce or at least they have a mention of Deathbird as well. That's another character I, I I don't know what it is. I always had like a soft spot for her. Like whenever she showed up, I'm like, okay, this will be interesting because she she always seemed like one of those like you never knew like what she was gonna do or like what game she was really playing kind of characters. Yeah, I I I think she's one of the main characters I was thinking of when I was saying like they were trying to subtly put some kind of X Men sheen on these titles with a very, you know, like a very superficially. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not like it's not like Magneto came and took a poop on the space station. It's like it's it's kind of like oh these are th- these are characters that are you know, per- peripherally related, but but they don't necessarily have to be, you know, outright, you know, X-Men owned or whatever, you know. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that I, I think I think also, too, that that page, you know, basically the page before Cap gets Mr. Cap on their asses and gets all mad. Like, I I think I think when they bust in and threaten to kill him, I think that panel's pretty boss. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost. It, you know, it's not it's not quite like uh, Ultron. We would have words with thee, but it's like it's pretty close. Like, I think, you know, when they all bust in through there and Quasar's like we blasted a hole in the side of your ship and and, and Masterson and Vision and Cersei are there. Like, so I, I, I think that's a pretty cool one. And and I guess it, it kind of introduces this notion of the, you know, the 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 divide between the characters that's going to 
you know, continue to appear and 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 culminate in the climax. Yeah. And then, like, not not only does Cap get torqued off about that, but then, like, you know, Hank Pym's kind of like, oh, like, you know, I've got all the, you know, the Atlas and Minerva shrunken down in like a little prison or whatever. And Cap's like, and I don't agree with that either, because you know, right, it's like, right. oh, yeah, I'm like, geez, Cap, like, what do you want then? Like, well, you know, you know, you know, sometimes when they start making comparisons to World War II and all this stuff, like when when he gets that like much of a stick up his ass about some of this stuff, I think to myself. What the fuck did you do? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you had to have fucking shot somebody's ass back in that war. Like, what did you do? Just, you know, stroll around and and plant daisies on the fucking Nazis? Like, come on, this is bullshit, you know? But anyway, that's that's probably that's probably more of a rant for later. But yeah, well, I, I remember, mean, I remember, like, what was it in like Demetrius's run or something where Cap says something like, "Oh, I never killed anyone, even during the war or something." And yeah, like, and what? Like, and then uh, they kind of like quietly like swept that under the rug. Yeah, so. I I remember that was a constant source of like discussion and argument, like at lunch, like did Cap really kill anybody and. We were too, and someone like discovered that panel and brought it, and we were all like, "I, that you know, that was like a further like argument into that because we didn't know whether to believe that or not." Yeah. Liar! All right, let's go on to part six, which is Iron Man two hundred seventy eight. The cover date was March nineteen ninety two, but the on sale date was January twenty eighth nineteen ninety two. The cover price again was a dollar twenty five. Title, Decisions in a Vacuum. Writer, Len Kaminsky. Penciler, Paul Ryan. Inker, Bob Wyacek. Letterer, Michael Heisler. Colorist, Michael Rockwitz. And the editor, Nelson Yomtov. A designated group of Avengers, including Iron Man, enter a Kree space station in an attempt to negotiate peace with the Kree and the Shi'ar. The Avengers run into some Shi'ar commandos, which they battle, and Iron Man ends up battling a Kree soldier named... Shatterax, who was sent by the Supreme Intelligence outside the station. On behalf of the entire team, Iron Man officially surrenders to the Kree. And that is Iron Man 278, Part 6 of Operation Galactic Storm. Shatterax, man. Shatterax. <laughs> I love how on Tony's little, like, computer, like, screens or whatnot, like, uh, heads-up display... He has MS DOS listed, and that kind of made me chuckle. It's like, you know, you're talking about like payphones. I'm like, oh, dude, MS DOS, that takes me back. Top of the line, cutting dude, edge. There's got to be some kind of DOS on the uh, on the Iron Man armor. Come on, <laughs> these people all deserve to wear their fishbowls, though, right? Like Clint yep. and mm-hmm. Cap and Black Knight and everything, right? No, no, like, no I, I was I was gonna mention something about it. No, it's weird too. I'm like. They, they've got their fishbowls on their head, but I'm like, Clint has exposed skin. And, like, he doesn't, like, I was like, wait a minute, are they in a vacuum? Because, like, that's not going to work out. Like, Dude, he, he's fine. He he ate some pim pills. He, he's perfectly fine. I guess yeah, so. Yeah. The pim particles actually oxygenate his cells for, like, five hours, Michael. Okay. Is that the no prize? I'll yep, take that's it. my no prize explanation. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Maybe they didn't have a suit big enough for his stupid big body, or I, I don't know. Why didn't he shrink down if they didn't have enough suit to cover him? I don't, mm. I don't know. Yeah, what What if he shrunk and then he was in the bubble next to Cap's head? Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be a cool image. 
but I mean, I, I obviously I've read this because I've read, you know, most all of that volume of Iron Man and as, especially like Len Kaminsky's run is one of my favorites. So like I probably read this piecemeal without reading the larger event. And like, I, I don't I've always enjoyed Len Kaminsky's characterization of Tony is like he, he really kind of made Tony kind of ruthless and like sort of cold and stuff. And I think like even like maybe a little too cold because I remember in like Avengers forever, like Busick, like retcons it that like Kang was like manipulating Tony at this time. Like, or, or like it's, a, I think it wasn't like mind controlling him, but he's like, I think there's a panel where it's like, you know, Kang instilled like a deep paranoia and like Tony Stark during this time or whatever. And he was always, you know, you know, ruthless and cold and, you know, obviously him and Cap are, are at odds at this point. So, but like, I, I don't know, like I divorced from that. I, I just thought it was always like, a, like they were, they were like writing Tony is more like pragmatic, I guess. Like, and I, I always thought like that was like a cool, like take on it. I think yeah, people... I've always had a soft spot for this area of Iron Man 2. I didn't own this issue, but a buddy of mine, like he was, he was kind of like Mike, like he was really into Iron Man, so I just borrowed his issues of Galactic Storm. I think people will will probably be able to tell what what side of the aisle I'm on when it comes to the uh, dissension in the Avengers ranks, but I'll, I'll just I'll just kind of kick it off by pointing out that we're talking about kind of those problems we have with like you know Mister Cap or whatever. And there's this line that Cap has where he says, look alive, people. These are professional soldiers, not supervillains we're up against. And I'm kind of like, so? Like, what, what What does that even mean? Like, what, if they were supervillains, you could kill them? Like, like, because I don't I, I don't know what what he's getting at, really. And and to me, it seemed like it would be the opposite. Like, if they're going up against supervillains, then they're legally obligated to, like, not kill them and take them to jail. But if you're fighting soldiers in a war, then, I mean, all bets are off, right? You're you're in a state of war. And then on top of that, it seems like they do kill all these guys. Because, what, what, I mean, to me, like, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong or not, but my take on what happens to these Shi'ar commando guys or whatever is, it's like they're the villains in the Batman 66 movie that are dehydrated or some shit. It's like the minute they get slammed against the wall or Cersei like turns them into frogs. It's like, they just go poof. Right. And turn into like the little, those little dust things like in Batman 66, you know, the 20th century Fox movie, or at least that's how I took it. So it's like, I don't know at this point to me, I'm like, I, I think you guys are already killing people at this point, but but, but yeah, I guess you're just going to sweep that shit under the rug with the 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 fucking little dust from Batman 66 or whatever that, you know, that they, they put in the little dust pans or whatever. But I, I don't know. Did, did you guys take this that that instance a different way or, or uh, you know, I don't know. I'm just curious. I think we all know you're on the side of kill the grungies, fuck the grungies, Derek. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> fuck those grungies. <laughs> fuck, fuck the supreme grungie. <laughs> what if the supreme grungie had like a weird robot body with a giant freaking head? <laughs> that would be so disturbing. I would kill him on general principle. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember at the time reading what I read of Galactic Storm. I the whole like argument and 
relationship of Captain Iron Man, like it didn't sit easy with me. I guess I wasn't, you know, I, I guess I was just too young to kind of really understand what was going on and until it was spelled out in that little epilogue, which we'll discuss. But I don't think I really grasped everything that was going on because, you know, I'm like a, you know, a 12 year old kid. And I'm just like, wait a minute. I, what, why are, these are the good guys. Why are they not getting along? Like, why is Cap being so like, cautious when they're in this huge galactic conflict about you know killing anyone why why is iron man like being so hot-headed and making all these decisions and you know he, he does some other kind of questionable stuff later on too that I, I was like dude like why'd you have to go that far so i i just remember that made me feel like really uneasy as like a little kid yeah yeah i i i think i mean this is this is kind of a retroactive application but I'm going to I'm going to talk about it with this issue, because that's where I first feel the hypocrisy with Iron Man happens is, you know, Iron Man goes off on his own. Right. And Cap has that line about, oh, that arrogant grandstanding. Like, I hate it when he does that. And to me, I think Iron Man has arrow syndrome. You know, he's got TV arrow syndrome. Like I can kill people, but the rest of you all can't kill anyone. And it's like he can go off half cocked and, and be kind of like a, a lone wolf operator. But if if Clint Barton decides to do so to get Cap, then then he gets zapped in the back or yeah. I forget what happens, right? And and he's not going to have any dissension while he's in charge. But if he's not in charge, it's okay for him to pull rank and, you know, kind of just, you know, invoke stupid rules, you know? <laughs> like, you know, I was like sitting there. I'm, I'm just going to say it all now because I think it's funny. But like, you know, he, he does the I'm a founding Avenger, so I... Yeah. You know, I basically revoke what the your your orders as a field leader, and I'm kind of like, dude, man, Clint Barton should have been like, I'm gonna use my kooky quartet privileges to revoke <laughs> your bullshit and go get Cap. Like that's like, it's like fuck your founding member privilege. Like I have kooky quartet privilege, so I get to if, Wa if Wanda backs him. me. That's if Wanda backs me. That's two on one. So yeah, we are we outrank kooky quartet. We have more kooky people than you. So fuck off. Like no, no. But I mean, I you know, they're, they're, for me, this is this is semi serious. Where it's like there there obviously there's certain things about this that I agree with, right? Where you know, like like you guys said, you know, fuck the grungies, right? Like like I, that part of it, I. I get but but there there is a, a level of hypocrisy when it comes to you know what what iron man does in certain situations like this when he goes off to confront shatterax on his own right and then he he surrenders the avengers right and the, you know the, to some degree they kind of say oh well that that worked out for the best but you know at the time they you know maybe there was a different option or whatever you know it kind of makes me wonder now like i wonder how cap would have felt if he was there, like, on Yavin 4 when Luke blew up the Death Star, would he can't be like, no, all those Imperial soldiers, what are you doing, mister? It's like, well, what did you expect him to do? They're going to blow up right. this planet, Cap. Like, get a grip. Like, you know, this is war. Like, you got, you know, some of these things can't be avoided. Tony's also technically, like, almost dying at this point. Like, I mean, his nervous system yeah. is completely yeah. shot. So maybe that's, like, influencing his, new his like, sort of devil-may-care, you know, lone wolf, like, you know, you know, he freaks out when Cersei transforms his armor like later on. So very early in Kurt Busiek's Avengers run, they there's some dialogue. I forget exactly which issue it is, but there's some dialogue where they state that they revoked the Hulk status as a founding Avenger and they made Cap and a founding Avenger. And I always wondered if that was a result of 
this storyline mm. like you know iron man throwing his weight around like i'm a founding avenger and i'm overruling you like i wonder if there was like some kind of concessions made like once they got back from heroes reborn world or something mm. like so that can never happen again i don't know dude dude it's like captain america is the robert kirkman of the avengers <laughs> he, he's retroactively been made a founding member <laughs> I think that's it. May it may actually be issue one because like before all the, you know, shenanigans start, they're trying to like decide who's on the team and they're just kind of like chatting and all that stuff. And I think they're kind of discussing something that doesn't happen anymore in like Avengers comics. They discuss like procedure and roll call and all that kind of stuff that just never happens anymore. It's all like you know, people talking about cell phones and what they're eating for supper. There was no procedure <laughs> call when Hawkeye's like, I'm going to fucking kill Norman Osborn and his purple yep. fucking gross looking cornrows. Man, talk about how like, well, I guess I'm jumping ahead, but like, man, talk about how like things change because like that's, that, that's one of the things that always stood out about stupid Bendis' run is like, look at Clint's decision here at the end of this and then look at Clint during that era. Like it's, they're two completely different characters. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. I think it's fair. That, that shit drives me crazy. I don't know how Mike feels about that, but that just, I'm just like, look at this and look at that. They're, yeah. they're nice day. Uh huh. Like, I mean, I, I may not entirely agree with like the no killing stance or whatever, but like, I mean, Clint was one of the biggest proponents of that. So, I mean, and now yeah. all of a sudden, Bendis, like, you know, made him killy McKill face. So, I think Clint even has a, monologue it might be in thunderbolts I, I i can't remember but he's like you know we don't have guys like punisher and wolverine on our team for a reason and then it's like yeah eight years later it's like you know he's wanting to kill no one else he he specifically says like you won't see guys like wolverine and yep. paladin on the thunderbolts and like the both of them like <laughs> or or the avengers and now both of them have been an avenger and a thunderbolt so uh. I guess that's one of those how it started, I, how it's for, going things. For, for all we know, Wolverine has founding Avenger privileges. <laughs> uh, I think that would make me he like... Has, he, has, he has founding new Avenger. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yep. Uh-huh. I'm a new Avenger, bub. I'm a founding new Avenger. I totally like... Uh, <laughs> I overrule your, uh, your orders. If all I right. ever read something like that in a comic, I think I would like kill myself and then quit reading comics in that order this is the old father odin and you should be listening to radio free asgard no no that's just not gonna work let's try this again this is the evil loki and if you hate thor as much as i do you should be all right let's just try one more thing jane foster here and you should be uh, risen all right let's just keep this simple Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. And we'll see you there. Bye! 
so we're we're on part seven now. It's Thor four forty five. The cover date was March nineteen ninety two. The on sale date January twenty eighth nineteen ninety two. Still a dollar twenty five. The title The War and the Warrior. The writer Tom DeFalco. Penciler Patrick Oliff. Inker Al Milgram. Letterer Michael Heisler. Colorist Michael Rockwitz. The editor was Ralph Macchio. The cover credits. The penciler was Ron Friends, and the inker was Al Milgram. Thor and the Avengers meet up with the Shi'ar, called Gladiator. But he proves too powerful, and the only way to neutralize him is to send him through one of the Stargates and implode it behind him, trapping him there. Unfortunately, it also traps the Avengers in Shi'ar space, and now they are surrounded by an armada. And that's my, my Justin level 445 synopsis. Geez, I was, I was like, you, you completely skipped over like Gladiator's fight with Wonder Man, like and everything. This is a this, I don't know. I'm not that crazy about the art in this issue, but man, like I, I really enjoy like the battle in this issue, like just the Avengers taking on Gladiator. Anytime like someone, whether it's Thor or you know Cannonball's infamous, like someone wants to like take on Gladiator and like. They have to hold him off or make a last stand. Like I'm, I'm always down for that kind of, you know, story. And I was reading Thor pretty heavily during this era, so I, you know, I read this back in the day. But like, man, this is, I don't know, like this is my jam here. Like just Thor and Gladiator just duking it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like like Good fantastic fight. fight scene. Yep. Uh huh. Yep. And I'm not like I'm not super familiar with like the Eric Masterson Thor, but I guess you know it, it's a it's an interesting take like on it. Like I, I feel like, you know, you take a snapshot of the Avengers at this time and like you get like, you know, all these characters are constantly evolving and it's like, Oh, this is like, you know, rookie Thor almost. So it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it's a, it's a, it's a good like story mechanism to have a character like this, like on the team at this time in this situation, I guess. This is Eric Masterson. He, he has no clue about any of Thor's backstory or anything. That's why he's constantly like losing his temper and making mistakes. I mean, like when he gets Thor's powers, like he doesn't even know how to like fly and land to control the hammer. He's like, <laughs> he's like crashing into buildings and he's like, how does Thor do this without, you know, screwing up the city? Yeah. Eric Masterson, I guess this is a good time to discuss this in detail, but I mean, Eric Masterson allowed me to, enjoy Thor comics period like I think I think I was one of those kids like where I didn't like the faux Shakespearean speech you know like I didn't I, you know I don't know I, I I think I I think at the time like you know I thought that was kind of hokum and and it just I, for whatever reason it, it probably like think of it this way like remember when we all read the the doom patrol and we had to read uh what's his face's uh you know you know broken english or whatever and like it hurt your head to read it like i think i think at like a you know five to ten year old reading level i'm not gonna say it was as bad as that but i think i think it was one of those things where you know i just i just tuned it the fuck out most of the time and it didn't have the same impact on me and i think when when Eric Masterson landed, it was like when people, I don't know, 
started reading Kyle Rayner for the first time or, you know, that, that kind of what, mm. what Mike's talking about that, that new hero on the block vibe. And also I felt like he was just at the time to me, he was just way more relatable. So, and, and I, I, you know, I still kind of get that vibe with him, you know, and, and I mean, there, there, there's something to be said, you know, cause eventually, right. Like war machine, thunderstrike, like all those guys were out selling, you know, Iron Man and 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 Cap and Thor, right? Like so, so there, I mean, they, they certainly there there were certainly that subsect of the audience that they really connected with. And then, like you know, again now you can look back at it and laugh like it's dated, but dude, the you know burner 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 burner, it's Hammer Time, you know, like like that's <laughs> and then it's the splash page where he like smacks Gladiator upside the head, like. But I mean, but then, I mean, you come back to more like serious arguments because, I mean, he he beats the fuck out of Gladiator. And then and then and then at that point, they're like, dude, man, you're going to you're going to you're going to kill this guy. And and he says, God help me. But killing this clown may be the only rational course of action. You know, so you come back to that, you know, they're not what they're they're only in part seven. And this arguments come up like, you know two to four times already like you, you, you i mean it's like they've 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 dropped that hint th- that eventually th- they're not going to have the luxury of stopping and you know at some point push is going to come to shove in this storyline so i think they're doing a good job of you know introducing that as a kind of ethical moral dilemma concept or whatever so it's not just like you know out of nowhere you know and i i think at least i, I know we kind of push back on the mr cap aspect but at least with with this instance, it's like you've got people that are, you know, the vision's kind of not emotional. He's just he, he to him, it's a, a semblance of logic. Like, dude, Thor, you've you've lost it. Like, just calm this emotional maelstrom, right? And and Wonder Man's kind of like the the more like we don't kill people. Like like let's let let's take a, a a breath here and count to ten or whatever, right? Like so, I mean, there's there there's that aspect where it's just a little more organic and 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 maybe you can see both sides of their argument you know as opposed to just kind of thinking like i guess to put it simply i don't i don't necessarily think simon has a stick up his ass when he says dude man you could have killed him you know like he's just kind of saying all right let's 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 back off here for a second let me ask you, Justin, because I, I, I honestly don't know, and I know you keep up with Thor. Like, have they ever resurrected Eric Masterson, or has, has he remained steadily, like, dead since he died? Like, He's still dead. I feel like they tried to make his son Thunderstrike for a while, maybe? Yeah, yeah I think they're, he's they're, running they're, around, they're, yeah. Yeah, that's... Son, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's, he's still dead. I don't think they ever like brought him back ever i know i know there was that one issue of busick avengers where like all the dead avengers like came back like oh yeah yeah, and and, like masterson was one of them but like yeah and then like half of those guys are alive again i think (laughs) so like yeah (laughs) because i think it was like mockingbird dr druid thunderstrike and like uh i forgot who else but hellcat in Hellcat, yeah. So like half those people are alive again. So I can't believe you would forget the last one was Hellcat, Mike. <laughs> oh, how could I forget? You're right. <laughs> Mike! 
let's do part eight, which is Captain America 399. Cover date was April 1992. On sale date, February 4th, 1992. Cover price still 125. Title, 20 million light years from Earth. Writer Mark Grunewald, penciler Richard Levins, inker Danny Bulandi, letterer Joseph Rosen, colorist Christy Scheel, editor Ralph Macchio. And the cover credits, still penciler Richard Levins, but the inker was Donald Hudson. On Hala, Shatterax hands the captive Avengers over to Ronan, the accuser. Following Captain America's cue, Cersei disguises the Avengers as Kree accusers who claim the Avengers teleported away. The Avengers retreat to a restroom, and Iron Man demands to be returned to his original state. Without explaining that his armor is also his life support, he breaks from the group to fly reconnaissance solo, but Goliath insists on going with him. Meanwhile, Supremor meets with Shatterax, Korath, and Ultimus with a plan to restore the Supreme Intelligence as leader of the Kree. Iron Man tells the Avengers to meet him at the government building, so they commandeer a flying billboard to get there. Korath spots them and attacks, but Cap eventually defeats him in a mid-air battle. And that is Captain America 399. This is this is the issue where Iron Man invokes his founding member rights to supersede the field leader, which again I'm like, come on, man, what are you what are you doing here? Pulling shit out of his ass is what. Of course, you know, you, you got to be disappointed that Korath, the pursuer, looks nothing like the dude from Amistad. What's up with that? <laughs> Who? This is like I mentioned it earlier, but this is when Iron Man gets all mad at uh, Cersei for like transmuting his armor and stuff and like you know you know not all of them know his secret identity but i mean he could have at least said like don't fuck with my life support man like you know i like i like when hercules is like craven jackal attacking our women folk (laughs) he couldn't get away with that today no yeah you can't you can't call people jackals anymore it's offensive (laughs) to jackals But, you know, Korath goes on to say, your females were the only ones with true power among you. You males scan as mere strongmen or athletes. And I'm like, mere strongman, Hercules? <laughs> what? Like, what are you talking about, Korath? Shut the fuck up. Like, what? And then Captain America kicks his ass, so what does he know? I feel like dude is channeling, like, the guy from Highlander 2 on his little jet boot thing. Mm. That's what it makes me think of. I've I've never had a huge opinion of Korath the Pursuer. Who? He was like some, I think in like Marvel Ultimate Alliance, I think he was like some like mini boss or something. And Mm. like, I think we'd beat him pretty easily. And I'm like, who's this asshole? And I was like, oh, right. He's like some low rent Ronin. Like, so. Ronin with the Scrimma sticks. Yep. Avengers West Coast, issue number 81. Cover date, April 1992. On sale date, February 4th, 1992. Cover price still 125 The title, They Also Serve. Writer, Roy and Danette Thomas. Penciler, David Ross. Inker, Timothy Dazon. Letterer, Joseph Rosen. Colorist, Bob Sharon. Editor, Nelson Yamtov. The Avengers Earthside Defense Force is tasked with watching over the captured Kree and Shi'ar warriors at Project Pegasus. 
It doesn't take long for the members of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard to attack and liberate Warstar and their fellow soldiers. In the process, they see an opportunity to break out Captain Atlas. Atlas thinks he's escaping with Dr. Minerva, but this is actually Hobgoblin in disguise. Ew. They trick him aboard their ship so they can claim his mega bands. Left behind, the real Minerva agrees to help the Avengers find the escaped Shi'ar. With her help, the Avengers direct Quasar, accompanied by her, to pursue the fleeing Imperial Guard cruiser. However, before they can stop the ship from leaving, they are intercepted by guardsmen Starbolt and Neutron. I like how they, you know, they, they started off calling that Imperial Guardsman Hobgoblin, but then they changed it to Shapeshifter when, like, Spider-Man's Hobgoblin became more popular. And then, like, he, I think he even says, like, or just Shifter for short, like, because they were like, oh, we use, we probably use the term Shapeshifter for a lot of things, so... Well, going to uh, the obvious, Hobgoblin or Shifter is the the Chameleon Boy analog, I guess. And then for other Legion characters, Nightshade is an analog for Shadowlass. Scintilla is an analog for Shrinking Violet. And Starbolt and Neutron are analogs for Sunboy and Starboy. Other than that, I don't have too much to say about this. I mean, I, you know, it, it's the it's basically like everybody they left behind, they left behind for a reason and they all get their asses whooped, I guess. I don't I mean, I don't know. Like and it's it's kind of weird because you're like, oh, well, some of these people are pretty cool, but they, they all seem to kind of get worked over for the most yeah, part. Like, you know, I always kind of felt bad that like U.S. agent and Mockingbird just got taken out like right away. Like, cause I yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it, I, I mean, thought it was funny. Like he like tries to hit on her and she like, you know, face plants and like, and stuff, but right. Right. It doesn't look good for either of them though, when they both get taken out in one shot. So yeah, it also doesn't look good for Dr. Minerva when he gets seduced by shifter or hobgoblin either. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, Atlas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Doctor Atlas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't have too much on this one. It kind of moves the plot along. They've got to. They've got to have some of these guys escape, right? How could they leave Gilgamesh behind on Earth? How? I. Well, I was they, always. You might was, say they forgot him. <laughs> <laughs> I. I was thinking like if it makes you feel any better, like each. Each team had like the, you know, some of the ultimate big bruisers, whether it's, you know, Masters and Thor or Wonder Man or, oh, well, Gilgamesh is equivalent to, you know, like Hercules. Thor, right? And Hercules, right? Like, so yeah. I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, they, they, they didn't want to, to me, I was like, they didn't want to leave the team without a heavy hitter, you know, even if it was the homebound team. So I was like, because, you know, you know, sometimes like, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll throw, uh, I'll probably throw a favorite crossover of mine under the bus, but the the Superman Panic in the Sky, like a lot of their home base team guys that defended the Earth were like, you know, all the street level guys. It was like Batman and Blue Beetle and but but basically all, you know, kind of kind of like street level heroes. Right. And and you're like, well, what happens if they need you know, like somebody who's who's a heavy hitter, you know, and they, and those guys are all in space. You know what I mean? Then then what do they do? So it's like I thought that that was their attempt to make the team breakdowns a little more, I don't know, well-rounded, I guess, like the, treating the question seriously. OK, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait, be right back. I need my Avengers 
Omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner. Just say his name three times in an email, and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah, sorry, sorry. I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap's shield there? <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's, it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! No! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die. They just get reassembled and sent to another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover and who might stop by. So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree-Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? <sighs> hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. Okay, let's go on to Quasar 33 then. Quasar 33, part 10 of Operation Galactic Storm. The cover date was April 1992. The on-sale date was February 11th, 1992. Cover price still 125. Title, Spatial Deliveries. Writer, Mark Grunewald. Penciler, Rurik Tyler. Inker, Fred Fredericks. Letterer, Janice Chang. The cover credits go to Greg Capullo and inker Harry Chandelario. And the editor is Kelly P. Corvisi. After taking care of Neutron and Starbolt in Earth's system, Quasar has her stay behind to watch the Stargate while he heads through it to pursue the rest of the Imperial Guard. He invades their ship and convinces them to hand over the prisoner Captain Atlas so as not to risk further damage to their vessel. Quasar also demands the Negabands, but they've already been transported to the Shi'ar star system. With Epoch's help, Quasar tracks the Negabands' location with Atlas in tow. Just as he's entering the Shi'ar system, he's stopped by Binary. Binary cryptically warns him not to interfere, lest it cost the Empire countless lives. Binary is soon joined by more members of the Imperial Guard. Onslaught, Solarwind, Moondancer, Glom, and Voyager who attack and eject Quasar from their space. Meanwhile, the Shi'ar on the world below prepare for launch. Separated from Quasar, Captain Atlas is taken prisoner again by the Shi'ar. However, he doesn't stay in his cell long before being rescued by Shatterax. Meanwhile, on Chandelar, the Avengers Shi'ar delegation meets with Prime Minister Araki. Captain Marvel delivers their demands to keep Earth out of the conflict with the Kree. With extra threats from the short-fused Thor, Araki agrees to take their message to the Empress.
And that is Quasar issue number 33. It always strikes me like not even not always like not even just here, but like like all, all these like alien races. I think I, I think this is why I liked Infinity so much, because like all the alien races in that, for the most part, like, you know, put their you know prejudices aside and worked with the Avengers. But like I feel like in every other space like event it's like oh we can't work with earthlings like they're the backwater primitives and stuff even though mm. like you know they 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 will ultimately usually solve the problem for the, like all these assholes so like there's always a dude like and even you know without the reveal of who iraqi really is it's like there's, there's always a dude like that who's like oh like you know empress like don't trust the earthlings like they're backwater primitives like yeah, I mean, yeah, there's usually some kind of naysayer when it comes to to Earth superheroes in terms of, of aliens and outer space and empires and all that stuff. I guess for this, like, again, I was kind of super disappointed that aside from the cover, there's no interior Capullo art. I thought that it was pretty funny the dialogue that Thor has about the Legion of Super Lackeys because that's kind of you know hitting the nail on the head with the whole Legion of Superheroes stuff. Like basically all the Imperial Guard guys that show up, not all of them, but a, a good majority of them are Legion analogs. So like the the character Onslaught, who I think at some point is described as you know a kung fu guy or whatever, like he's analog to Karate Kid. Moon Dancer is the tracker, so obviously she's an analog to Dawnstar. And then Glom, who eats everything and everyone, is an analog to Matter Eater Lad. Solar Wind and Voyager don't really, I, I don't think they have any analogs. And then, of course, Binary shows up and all I could think of was stupid Binary. So <laughs> that was kind of my that was kind of my reaction to that. I mean, since since there's more appearances from her in this, I'll, I'll go into that a little bit more because Justin's brought up the character a few times. This may be interesting coming from me, but I, I kind of tend to think of her as Quasar's Maxima. Like she shows up and she's like really thirsty and, and, and is like, I'm going to prove to you, like I'm, I'm going to be the perfect woman for you and it's going to be awesome. And like Quasar, like has, I, I don't know. He just doesn't, he, he's got a girlfriend already, but he just doesn't, I guess he just doesn't want to, let her down or you know it's like it, it, you know she in some sense she becomes almost like a black cat where like she's a consistent kind of partner to him especially once galactic storm is over with so like i mean i may, maybe i I'm, I'm forgetting how it all goes down eventually for her for her <laughs> but I mean, for 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 a time, like I, it does, it does work out a bit to her advantage. Even though he's not, he's not madly in love with her or anything. But but I mean, they she she does kind of get what she wants in some sense because they, they do get to spend more time together once this whole crossover is finished. What is uh? Don't they give her like her a a like kind of like code name eventually or something? Aisha. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, I was like, I know she had a different, like, another name or something. She's a character that always seems to, like, show up in the weirdest places to me, like Marvel 2 and 1 or Alpha Flight, like, you know, I, I don't know, it always seemed like she 
was a character that had a lot of potential, but they just never utilized it. Like, I think the last time she showed up was maybe in that Heroes Return Fantastic Four, you know, volume. But like I said, I, I had never read these Quasar tie-in issues, so when I read these and she was there, I was like, holy crap, like, I didn't even know she was involved in this crossover, let alone showing up in Quasar, because I, I have no memory of her showing up in Quasar at all, so I guess I just forgot or blocked it out of my mind for some reason, I don't know. So we'll we'll move on to part 11, which is Wonder Man issue number eight. The cover date was April 1992. The on-sale date was February 11th, 1992. Cover price again, 125. The title, Death Adrift. Writer, Gerard Jones. Penciler, Jeff Johnson. And Stephen J.B. Jones. The inkers, Jan Anton Harps. And Art Nichols. Letterer, Patrick Brzeau. Colorist, Joe Rosas. Editor, Fabian Nicieza. And the cover credits, the penciler is still Jeff Johnson, but the inker is Terry Austin. The Avengers Shi'ar delegation is taken to the launch site of the device that the Negabands, Psyche, Magnetron, and Omniwave projector were stolen to complete. Empress Lalandra oversees the deployment of the massive vessel they're calling the Nega Portal that will somehow bring a swift end to the war with the Kree. The Starjammers are commissioned to tow it to its destination, but Corsair refuses to take part in a plan that poses danger to the Earth. The remaining Starjammers proceed with their mission despite the protests of Wonder Man. Dragging the vision along, Simon abandons the delegation to infiltrate the Nega Portal. The two are forced to fight the Starjammers until Wonder Man convinces them that the Nega Portal is actually a Nega Bomb that threatens to wipe out the entire free galaxy. Wonder Man persuades the Starjammers to return to their ship and disengage while he and the Vision stay aboard the Nega Bomb in an effort to repair the damage. Unfortunately for our heroes, the Starjammers have doubled their speed to the Stargate and are forced to disconnect the Nega Portal as they enter the wormhole, leaving Vision and Wonder Man alone in the far reaches of uninhabited space. This is probably my favorite cover in the whole thing. I, I I really, really, really like this cover. And it's probably like, aside from maybe some some Jim Lee panels or whatever, it's probably the most beautiful Hepzibah has like ever been. Like, I really, really like this cover. And, and then I guess we get to, you know, see again th- th- this kind of notion. We've been talking about these these superficial X-Men elements like the Star Jammers kind of encroaching into Avengers territory. And, and, and you know, I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll probably talk more about this for final thoughts, like when we come to the end of this. But ju- just while I'm experiencing it, one of the things that attracts me to this crossover that's always attracted me to the crossover is the potential to pair uh, groups of characters and or characters that have never encountered one another before. So to me, this is a perfect example of that. It's fun to see the Vision and Wonder Man fight the Starjammers. Like when when have they done that before? Never. But this is this is the first time. And it's it's to me, it's it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I never read this issue, so I kind of like her. I had no idea the Star Jammers even participated in this crossover, so this was a lot of fun for me to read for the first time. Yeah, I feel like I like how like Corsair at the very beginning is like, I'm out E5000, like, forget <laughs> it. Like, I ain't doing this. Like, you know, this is stupid. Like, goodbye. But the others are kind of like, well, we'll do it. I mean, you don't have to like walk away. Like, whatever. Corsair's like, I didn't want to be part of your stupid crossover anyway. <laughs> I don't need your stupid crossover. And then, I mean, again, there there is kind of like this 48 hours buddy cop thing going on with, with Simon and the vision. You know, the, the you know what I was thinking of the whole time I was reading this? And it had never occurred to me before, but I think you've mentioned this repeatedly in the past, Justin. But I, I kept thinking maybe because, you know, we, we've covered a lot of Star Trek lately and all this other stuff. But I, I just kept looking at the vision and, and how how data like they've made him and 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 there is that aspect of the the comical aspect of division as a straight man you know mm-hmm. in to a degree like saying like you know the most utterly obvious things or being oblivious to to things that might be obvious to you know quote unquote emotional humans or whatever you know like that that whole kind of thing but I mean, outside of that, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I, I really, really do love the art in this. And I think especially Hepsiba looks really awesome, but I think I think it applies to all the characters. I mean, not only do they seem on model, but I guess th- this is one of those instances where as opposed to, say, Tom Palmer, where my main problem with it is the style, like my main zeal for this is the style so if you if you don't like this style then you know you might not be as enamored with it as i am but but i just really like the style and the pairing and 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 all that kind of stuff yeah it's i mean this version of wonder man and this version of vision like teaming up is a like you'll never you'll probably never see them in this like sort of state of mind again like paired Mm -hmm. up so like you know it's interesting it is it is kind of uh, an exclusive snapshot right into into a specific moment in avengers history as well yeah Okay, let's let's go on to part 12 of Operation Galactic Storm, which is Avengers 346. The cover date was April 1992. The on sale date was February 18th, 1992. Cover price again, 125. The title of the story is Assassination. Writer Bob Harris, penciler Steve Epting, inker slash colorist Tom Palmer, letterer Bill Oakley, editor Ralph Macchio. The Avengers have managed to get to the heart of the Kree Empire, Kreelar. The Supreme Intelligence watches as Ronan is commanded to watch over the safety of the Kree. The Supreme Intelligence thinks to himself of how he has been the one to make these events come to pass. He also senses that Deathbird has snuck into the capital, Hala. Therefore, he summons a team of Kree he dubs his Star Force to deal with the invaders, the Avengers. He tells his team that the Avengers are tied in with the Shi'ar and are going to help Deathbird carry out an assassination attempt on the two Kree leaders. The Avengers are attacked by the Star Force and they fight back. 
The leaders Ale Dan and Dar Ben cannot believe that the Avengers have come to the capital citadel. As the Avengers enter the Great Hall, they are surrounded. Ale Den and Dar Ben announce that they do not recognize the Star Force members as sanctioned agents of the Kree Empire. They decree the Star Force be executed along with the Avengers. Just then, Deathbird leaps out of the shadows and slays the Kree leaders in the name of the Shi'ar and flies off. With their deaths at the hand of a Shi'ar assassin, this allows the Supreme Intelligence to resume his position as the ultimate Kree authority. The Supreme Intelligence announces that the real war has begun and demands the death of the Shi'ar's Majestrix Lilandra. He orders the Avengers put to death for being accomplices to the assassination. The people of the Kree Empire seek revenge and shout chants of DEATH TO THE SHI'AR! While the Supreme Intelligence continues to secretly plot the death of his own Kree Empire. Dun dun dun! This is kind of what I was talking about. This is the, the line of dialogue where, you know, now aside from them having breathing apparatuses, the, the girls have jackets and... Black Knight has a line where he says, But the ladies are warm and snug in nifty jackets. Cersei used her powers to create. So that's your that's your explanation of why they have Avengers bomber jackets all of a sudden. Well, it's thank all, God. It's, knew, it's well, thank all, God explain that. It's it's all Cersei's fault. And I don't know what the jacket is doing for her hot, hot legs, but <laughs> I'm glad that her, her arms are are warm now. Derek, I'm setting my neural sword on kill. Uh, I shit, I am too, man. <laughs> my neural sword is fully charged and ready to go. Again, Cap freaks out about that. No, the day I countenance a move like that is the day I leave the Avengers. Understood? Like, chill out, man. Like, <laughs> I mean, he's not even killing anyone yet. Like, he's just like, you know, I, he's like, you know, Cap. Like, it, it's too. This burrito is way too cold. I'm setting the microwave too high like no no dane like don't set the microwave to high like, you're I think, out of the avengers if you do i i think i jumped the gun with the kentaro oa reference because you, you know where it is it's 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 on page 10 of this where he says avengers de defensive perimeter now like doesn't cap look like kentaro in that one panel <laughs> look at his face it's so funny yeah yeah he's he's uh definitely uh uh, th th there's a lot of lines on his face. It's just, he looks like, uh, I don't know, he looks funny to me. That's why I was, like, looking at it. I was trying to figure out who it reminded me of, and it totally, it totally reminded me of Kintaro. Because I was like, I was like, Justin, doesn't that, doesn't that look like when, like, Kintaro got caught, like, fondling the toilet or whatever? Like, where he's like, ooh! Like, <laughs> it's like, oh my god! Like, you know, like I just, I don't know. It cracks me up, dude. Like, and again, like you know, I don't mean to be mean about you know. It's like Steve Epting's a good artist, and and I know Tom Palmer has his his big fans and all that stuff. So I'm not trying to like poke holes in it, but that that's one of the funnier looking Captain Americas that I've I've ever seen because he's got Golden Boy <laughs> face or whatever. Thanks, yeah. like, so. A pervert as well. No, my queen, forgive me! Your queen? What are you talking about? 
No! She'll hate me forever! I'm going to be fired! I, I love, again, Hercules has all the good lines in this. Get thee from my face, Cree man! <laughs> I, I gotta remember that for later. Get thee from my face. I like Cersei telling Supreme War he's one of the least attractive foes she's ever mm. fought. Mm. But, I mean, you, you know it's funny? And, and she says she knows a lot of deviants, too. And then all I could think of is how she's sleeping with all the deviants in the... Uh, in the current book, so I was like, Jesus, like, Supreme War must really be ugly, because she slept with a lot of ugly sons of bitches, you know? So is, is Black Knight's lightsaber like a, a Star Trek phaser? Like, there's a setting where he can just, like, slash and hack people, but they don't die? It just stuns them? Is that the idea? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. I think it's supposed to disrupt their nervous system, kind of like when Vision puts his arm through someone. Oh, okay. That's, so so that's... it's almost like it's almost like his 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 sword is in taser mode, but then it's in like chop you to death mode, right? Like okay, yeah. or at least that's the way I I always understood it. It's funny, like the the what if, like those two friggin' Cree emperors. It's mm -hmm. like the one with the mustache becomes like the ultimate like despot, like in the what if, like where did did, did, did those guys exist before this storyline, or did they just make them up to be like the you know, de facto leaders of the Kree until the, you know, the supreme intelligence takes over again. You know, I, I don't know. It feels like they just invented them for this, considering how fast they get killed off. But, like, I, I just think it's funny that, you know, oh, like, you know, if the mustached one, like, if he just survived, he would have, like, blown up Earth, probably. Uh, no, they, they, it looks like they appear in Silver Surfer first. So they they were probably oh, okay. I mean, it, it, I I don't know that they had a long history. It's it's you know from the volume three, so it's like they they might have appeared like a year before this. Okay, but they're still easily disposed of. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to the world of tomorrow. <laughs> the Legion of Superheroes through the Silver Age, the Bronze Age. The Baxter series, five years later, the reboot, the three-boot, the retro-boot, the animated series. We have banded together as the Legion of Super Bloggers to cover it all. Seek us out at legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. Why do you always have to say it that way? Haven't you ever heard of a little thing called showmanship? Okay, part 13, Iron Man 279. Cover date is April 1992, on sale date February 25th, 1992. Title is Bad Judgment. Writer Len Kaminsky, penciler Paul Ryan, inker Bob Wiacek, letterer Michael Heisler, colorist Michael Rockwitz, editor Nelson Yamtov. Cloaked, Iron Man and Goliath watch a Cree news bulletin detailing the arrest of the Avengers. They split up with Iron Man giving Goliath a tracking device to find Deathbird, while Iron Man heads to the Citadel of Judgment to free the Avengers. Inside, a pair of accusers remove Captain America from his cell to be taken for official accusation. Meanwhile, the fallen emperors, Ail Dan and Darben, are brought before the Supreme Intelligence, strapped to neural extractors, and their minds are emptied into the Supreme Intelligence's gestalt brain. 
Iron Man attacks the Citadel of Judgment, but is confronted by Ronan, the Accuser. Meanwhile, Goliath finds Deathbird hiding in the sewers and forcibly convinces her to admit the Avengers were not working with her during her assassination attempt. Iron Man's battle with Ronan causes his life support systems to approach overload and activates his armor's self-destruct sequence. Hey, in, in the, the what if, he never turns it off. <laughs> Luckily, the Avengers, rescued by Goliath, arrive in the nick of time and drive back the Kree. Iron Man aborts the self-destruct sequence. Whew. Although Deathbird has escaped, she told Goliath that the Shi'ar plan to launch a Nega bomb if she doesn't return in time. Iron Man decides they must stop the bomb, but Goliath wants to rescue the still-captured Captain America. Iron Man incapacitates Goliath before he heads off on his own to rescue Cap, and the Avengers leave. Meanwhile, in space, a scroll ship notices the Shi'ar craft that contains the Nega bomb. And, and this is kind of what I was talking about before. Iron Man's got the whole arrow syndrome where he can go off half-cocked on his own, but you know, Hawkeye can't go off half-cocked on his own. So, you know, kooky, kooky quartet privileges is, is what I'm saying should have been invoked. But that, that didn't go down. I've always had a soft spot for Paul Ryan. And I think that has a lot to do with him being one of the main Fantastic Four artists. Like when I started buying that book month to month. Mm, mm. So seeing him, I mean, he's done tons of stuff. Like he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. You know, he did this issue. He did several issues of Iron Man, and you know he did lots of other stuff too. But I, I always really had a soft spot for his artwork. He's, he's probably he's, for. He's always been like a really, really solid artist. Like, yeah. and and I know sometimes you know people are like, well, that's not a that's not a derogatory thing. It's it's he's a great storyteller. You know, his style might not be the most flashy, but. I, I think there's always a, a nice sense of consistency and 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 you know exactly what's happening and and I don't dislike his style. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't turn me off either. And I mean, aside from Iron Man and Fantastic Four, I mean, I remember when he did the run on you know Wally West Flash. Like I mean, there, there there's a lot of good stuff that he's done. So mm-hmm. and and this is this is no different. I mean, I think it's a fun fight between Iron Man and and Ronan. I mean, I think the space armor looks really cool. I I like the way that they they display the, you know, some sometimes the whole, you know, I don't know, seeing inside a cockpit of a mobile suit can get annoying with the Tamino, you know, little triangle thing or whatever, but I kind of like the way they they give you, you know, they let you peek behind the hood and see, you know, the sweat in Tony's brow and all that kind of stuff. Like that's, I, I think that that helps with the sense of of tension and 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 the the aspect of peril that that Iron Man is in. Hey Hasbro, if you're listening, I wouldn't mind a Iron Man space armor legend. Space armor, hydro armor. It is it is funny, like by today's standards, how primitive like Tony's armor seems like in terms of technology. Like you were saying, like the DOS like yeah. up and stuff. But like back, back then you gotta think of it like back then it was like cutting edge and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was. But it, it seems like it seems like so primitive, like at this point, with that I'm like I'm almost thinking like you know, like man, it's it's so like rickety and barely holding together almost. <laughs> like even though it's probably like 
stressed way, way beyond its limits at this point. But I mean, what what is it people say? It's like your cell phone has more technology in it than what we used to go to the moon. I mean, that's that's crazy yeah. if you think yeah. about something like that. Yeah. You're just like, wow. Yeah. So Tony's a total jerk for tasing Clint here, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and again, uh-huh. it's it's it it's 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 definitely hypocritical too because he he did the same thing not you know what three or four chapters ago, right? Like so, and and Cap didn't incapacitate him, you know. Like so, you know, it's like come on, man. Okay, part 14 is Thor 446. The Mighty Thor 446 has a cover date of April 1992. The on-sale date was February 25th, 1992. The cover price again, 125. The title now strikes the Star Force. Writer, Tom DeFalco. Penciler, Patrick Olaf. Inker, Al Milgram. Letterer, Michael Heisler. Colorist, Gina Goingrainy. Editor Ralph Macchio and the cover credits penciler Ron Friends and inker Al Milgram. The Avengers meet with Lalandra in an attempt to end the war. After being assaulted by the Kree Star Force, she agrees to pursue a truce and recall the Nega Bomb. That's it. That's my synopsis. And it immediately changes <laughs> in the next chapter because so this is like a kind of a total waste of time or either this chapter is a waste of time or or the, the other chapters that follow are a waste of time because Lilandra kind of goes back on the whole. You know, she's like, I'm going to recall it. I've changed my mind. And then they're still like fighting with her, like as the story continues. So. Yeah, I have very little to say about this one. Like that, like exactly. Like it seems almost kind of redundant because she's like, you know. I mean, it's kind of a shame because you felt like, you know, you felt like yeah, Thor and Smasher made a connection. You felt like, you know, there, there's this aspect of like, dude, is her own uh, uh, advisor gonna like stab her in the back because you don't know what's going on at this point. And, and and there's some interesting things and, and, and fights that go down. And there's a certain, like I said, a certain level of of respect that that Smasher and and, uh, you know, Masterson have. Right. But it's like all that seems for naught when you when you get to subsequent chapters and they're all still arguing. They haven't quite you know, it, it, it's just weird. It's like they had the Marvel team up where they had the misunderstanding, they fought, and then they came to a new understanding, and they're about to team up to fight the bad guy, but then, uh, you know, a chapter or two later, they've, like, reset back to, we're still having that same misunderstanding, which is, you know, it, 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 it it's kind of disappointing. But, I mean, the best part is that, you know, Thor gets to, you know, whoop up on uh, Ronan. Like, that's a pretty cool fight. And, and again even though Star Fox doesn't have much to do with the defeat of Ultimus, like that, that's another thing that seems like, like it's, you know, the, the whole point of that scene is supposed to be that dude, Star Fox, you, 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 your bravery in the face of certain defeat has convinced me the error of my ways as Empress of the Shi'ar, you know? And, and it's like, what the, I mean, I'm going to complain about it more later, but what the fuck happened to that? Like that just kind of goes away, I guess. The only thing I have for this issue is Star Fox is awfully worried about his reputation, and he's even to the point where he's like, 
hey, baby, maybe I can change your mind. And she's just like, no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> well, I, I guess there's, the, you know, just like the fucking killing joke and all this shit, there's all this uh, retroactive fucking uh, yeah. uh, 2021, 2022, whatever the fuck year this is now, like judgment about about Star Fox and how he essentially, you know what, he, he rapes people because he uses his fucking powers. And it's like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I feel like getting into that, but it's. I remember, like, I remember, like, I remember someone doing like a YouTube review of like some of like this, like I think Roger Stern's like run on Avengers and stuff, and like when Star Fox shows up there, like kind of joking about it. It's like, man, Star Fox is really eager to use his power. (laughs) You know, he's just like running around going, like, I know how to, I'll solve this situation. Like, I'll make them come. Like, you know, basically. (laughs) And he just keeps saying it. Like, he's like, I know what I'll do. Like, the juggernaut's running at me. I know. I'm like, you know. But. I mean, I I thought that was in Flex Mentalo's power, but I guess it's Star Fox's power too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't want to get into that whole argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've always liked Star Fox, no matter what yeah, people yeah. say. Current. I mean, you you talk about a fucking overlooked Marvel legend. Where the yeah. f is my Star Fox for nerd Legion of Superhero shit? Titan is obviously Colossal Boy because he's the big, tall, giant one. Hardball is Bouncing Boy. Smasher is equivalent to Ultra Boy. Astra is equivalent to Phantom Girl. And as far as I know, Hussar has no equivalent. There's no giant, big-headed chick with a whip in the Legion. And Earthquake doesn't really have much of an equivalent unless maybe you want to say, like, Block is his equivalent. But... Block doesn't have like earthquake powers, but they both kind of look stony and craggy and and whatever. So that's what I got on that. I remember that review. It's like they're fighting the Hulk and Star Fox is like, you know, I'll use my power on the Hulk. And then like the reviewer was kind of like, and the next time we saw Star Fox, there was a giant soggy hole in him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Speaking of giant soggy holes, part 15, Captain America, 400. (laughs) (laughs) Great transition. Cover date, May 1992. On sale date, March 3rd, 1992. Cover price, this is is what we were all waiting for. The cover price has changed. It's the 400th issue. Cover price is $2.25. The title is Murder by Decree. The writer is Mark Grunewald, penciler Richard Levins, inker Danny Bulandi, letterer Joseph Rosen, colorist Christy Scheel, editor Ralph Macchio. The cover credits, the penciler is still Richard Levins, but the inker is Dan Penotion. Captain America narrowly avoids an explosion that collapses the Citadel of Judgment, but he's trapped in the resulting rubble. Meanwhile, Iron Man reassures the Avengers that they made the right call to abandon Cap because they had no time to save both Cap and the Kree galaxy from the Negabomb. The Supreme Intelligence creates images of Cap's greatest foes to mentally assault him. King Cobra, Batrock the Leaper, Flag Smasher, Madam Viper, Crossbones, and the Red Skull surround Cap and attack him. Cap fights back but realizes these foes are merely mental constructs when he asks Batrock to remove his mask. Since Cap has never seen his real face, the top half of Batrock's face is eerily blank. The Supreme Intelligence discards Cap, since his will is too strong to be absorbed into his collective consciousness. 
Meanwhile, the Negabomb continues on its path to the Kree Empire. Yeah, so basically we left part 14 with the Negabomb on its way and part 15. The Negabomb is still on its fucking way. This is a anniversary issue. So, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of a clever idea. They, they, you know, I, I think, and, and, and I don't know if you'll, you guys will back me up on this. I think I would have been more into this if I was like super ecstatic about the artist behind it. Like, like if it was like yeah. Jim Lee drawing all these characters or I don't know, like, you know, just some, some standout, like, you know, hot you know, stylish artist and you got to see their take on, you know, Bat Rock and, and King Cobra and Flag Smasher and Madam Viper and Crossbones and the Red Skull. You know, I, I think that would have been the selling point for this. And, you know, no, you know, no, no disparaging to Richard Levins. I mean, the art's fine, but it, it, it's just uh, it's nothing that like is super duper exciting to me that I mean, I get I guess that's it. That's all I have. The only thing I really know him from is he did like what twenty or thirty issues of Cap in this era, and then he did maybe six issues of Avengers, like back when it was like the Hydro Base era, I think. And that's it. I don't I don't know if anything else he's did to to my knowledge. I mean, the you know it's funny out outside of this, I, I you know I uh, off the top of my head I don't know. But yeah, this is an odd issue i mean it's I, I don't know if it's like bad planning or what but you've got your 400th spectacular anniversary issue like at the tail end of a 19 part crossover so i guess you're it's like what what do you do you have to like celebrate cap's anniversary but you also need to like do something to progress galactic storm but i don't think it did either of those very well yeah i thought it, like you know it, it's fine as a I guess it's fine as a concept and a story, but it's just, I don't know, like you said, Derek, maybe it's not really executed as impress as an impressively as it could have been like under a different artist. So, I mean, I, I feel like this is, this is like, this is fine for an issue when it's with a superstar artist, but it's the type of story that I will forever criticize Jeff Loeb for because he turns those things into like, an entire year of story. You know what I mean? Like, like this one issue is hush. You know what I mean? Like, 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 and it's like, <laughs> it's like, I'm fine with it. If it's just like a one time, like, Hey, this is cool. We get to see all these guys and there's some crazy rationale because they're all, you know, it's all coming from the Supreme intelligence's head. Like, it's not like they never did this before with Hulk in an anniversary issue where it's like the leader makes Hulk see all these, you know, villains from his past and you get to see Zach's and abomination and whoever, right? Like, so it's, it's not, it's not like it's an unfamiliar go-to or trope. And again, this is one of those instances where I was kind of describing where they, they essentially, the, the first part of this is the, the galactic storm tie in, but then they have like a bunch of backups where, you know, you're, you're following up on, you know, diamond back getting kidnapped by crossbones. You're following up on, you know, what the hell happened to D man. And they, you know, us agent and Falcon go and rescue him in the middle of galactic storm. I guess they say, fuck, fuck the, we, we already got our asses whooped. Like we're clearly no good at protecting the earth. Let's go, let's go rescue D man. You know? So that's, that's basically, you know, and, and those are completely independent, which is why I didn't talk about those at all. And they don't have much to do with Galactic Storm. But again, it's like kind of like what you guys are saying. It's like they, they tried various ways to 
to celebrate the anniversary issue, but there's, you know, they're, they're, they're not all, I, I, I don't know that they were entirely successful with that. Yeah. Okay, part 16, Avengers West Coast 82. Cover date is May 1992, on sale date March 3rd, 1992. Now we're back to the 125 cover price. The title is Shi'ar Hatred. Hatred. The writer is Roy and Dan Thomas. Writers are Roy and Danette Thomas. Penciler, David Ross. Inker, Timothy Dazon. Letterer, Joseph Frozen. Colorist, Bob Sharon. Editor, Nelson Yamtov. The Avengers' efforts to negotiate peacefully with the Shi'ar break down slightly due to Thor's impetuousness, and a fight breaks out with the Imperial Guard. The situation changes when Living Lightning shoots Araki, revealing him to be a scroll imposter when he loses consciousness and reverts to his original form. Suspecting both sides in the war being manipulated by the scrolls, Empress Lalandra agrees to release Ultimus to take this information back to the Kree. Meanwhile, back at Avengers West Coast Compound, a trio of mysterious arachnid-themed villains spy on Spider-Woman. However, the Avengers have another problem, as a quantum message from Quasar informs the rest of the Avengers the scrolls have hijacked the Negabomb and taken it through the Stargate into Earth's solar system and that is the events of part 16 of operation galactic storm avengers west coast issue number 82 was that not set up for julia carpenter's miniseries i think so yeah that's what i was figuring because that's a random she she she, i i think she fights like all those spider themed guys in that miniseries Yeah, yeah the uh the death web they're yeah. called, I think. Yeah. So, so if I again, correctly. I'm going to bitch and moan about this. The the opening splash page is Lee Lalandra, and when we last left Lee Lalandra, she's she's turned a new leaf. She's she's seen the error of her ways because of the heroic actions of Star Fox, and she's going to stop the Nega Bomb from exploding. But the opening splash page is a gritty, angry, yelling Lalandra saying. The Kree Star Force must die! And I'm just kind of like, what happened to the Kree? You know what I mean? And it's like, I guess you can distinguish, like, the Kree people from the Kree Star Force, because the Star Force just tried to kill her. But I, I'm I'm just kind of like, I don't know, it just seems like there, there's this is the one issue where I, I feel like, I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if it's the Thor issue's fault or if it's this issue's fault, but somebody's at fault because there seems to be, this is the one part of it where I feel like there's just a large amount of inconsistency. And and I, I kind of feel like they shouldn't have diffused the tension before the scroll imposter was revealed. So there there is that, there is that part of me that wants to blame the Thor issue, but it's kind of like the Thor issue comes first. So I don't know. I feel like the onus is on the Avengers West coast issue to, you know, to, you know, it's like when I was, when, when, when I was used to go to acting camps for the summer or whatever, there was this game we used to play called yes. And basically what it was, was you're an actor, right? You have to lie for a living. Right. So it's like, basically you have to answer yes 
to anything anybody asks you. So if somebody says, hey, when's the last time you flew up to the moon? Didn't you fly up to the moon? You say, yeah, I flew up to the moon. It's like I snuck aboard uh, one of the U.S. space shuttles, and then what I did was I, I fired an escape pod, and um, luckily I had Green Lantern's ring, and I could breathe on the moon, and then I flew back home, and I ate a sandwich. You know, and it's like you just you just have to go along with whatever you were given, and I feel like they should have gone along with what they were given. But I don't know if you guys feel differently about that. Yeah, I did notice the disconnect. I was like, wait, but wait, like, that's not what she said. Like, you know, and it's almost like, you know, replaying the last scene of an anime, like from the last episode or something, but like they animate it differently or something. And yeah. like, wait, that's not what happened. Like, maybe, maybe it would have been better served. Like, maybe Iraqi could have been the one saying, like, the Kree Star Force must die and, and saying, like, we still need to go send the Nega bomb or whatever. And then, Lelandra's like still with Star Fox on her own. And then then when they come in, then the skirmish happens and then they reveal the scroll. And Lelandra's still kind of in the same headspace that she was always in, but you know, may, maybe you transfer all that to to Iraqi or something. I don't know. I, I just think something else would have been a better better way to go with that. Justin, you you have anything on this? Not really. Kind of like you, I was I was reading this, and I was like, wait, did I miss something? And I had to go back to previous pages, and I was like, no, I didn't miss anything. Someone maybe Yeah, some, somebody just sort of fell asleep at the wheel, right? Yeah, that's, that's kind of what that feels like. Okay, okay. So so we'll we'll go on to part 17. Part 17 is Quasar 34. The cover date was March or I'm sorry, the cover date was May 1992. The on sale date was March 1992. The cover price was $1.25. The title is The Scorched Sun. Writer Mark Grunwald, penciler Rurik Tyler, inker Keith Williams, letterer Janice Chang, colorist Paul J. Becton, editor Kelly P. Corvisi. A scroll ship tows the Negabomb through the Stargate above Earth's sun. Quasar and her fight the Super Scroll in an attempt to stop the ship. However, when Quasar notices the sun bubbling up with sunspots, he elects to let the scrolls pass through to the other Stargate so they can get away from the sun. Quasar is about to pursue the scroll, but notices the sunspots aren't going away. With Epoch's help, they identify the cause of the sun's ailment as an infection of antimatter. With few available options, Quasar asks Epoch and her to go looking for more help while he risks himself by diving into the sun and shunting as much antimatter as he can into the quantum zone. He soon joined in the sun by Binary, who came through the Stargate in pursuit of the Negabomb. But Binary can't bring herself to continue her mission for Empress Lalandra when she learns the Earth's sun is in danger. Tapping into the power of a vortex hole, Binary sucks away the antimatter at a much faster rate than Quasar. In short time, the sun is saved, although Binary is completely drained by the ordeal. Quasar finds Binary and pulls her out of the sun and takes her back to Avengers headquarters for recovery. Leaving the former Miss Marvel in the care of Jarvis and Dr. Kincaid, Quasar heads back into outer space to go after the Negabomb. So, I, I mean, I basically 
have two comments on this. One is the same exact one as the last issue. Aside from the really cool Capullo cover, I was disappointed with the interior art. And, you know, everybody's got to eat. So Quasar grabs a finger sandwich from Jarvis before he heads back into space. So that's that's what I got on this one. Jarvis is a sandwich-making machine. Like, he just had that. Like, he just pulled it out of his pocket, like, for Quasar. That's, that's Jarvis's superpower. I have a question. You may not know the answer. Okay. What's up with the dude, like, creeping on this lady in the shower? Like, what what's going on here? I mean, oh, I know what she says, like, he was, like, at Four Freedoms Plaza and stuff, but, like, what's so, the whole... So, so th- this is... I mean, uh, you know, basically it's it, I think it was uh, Wendell Vaughn's secretary or whatever. So it's his girlfriend and stuff. But I think I think she gets superpowers or something at some point. And, and so then I think like the, I, I, I'm trying to remember, but I, I feel like they they all have their own adventures or something when Quasar goes off into outer space. Like I, I sort of forget. That's that's basically what I remembered about that. Again, it's it's one of those one of those B C subplots that yeah, doesn't that, have that, too much to do with Galactic Storm, but but does have a lot to do with you know Quasar's ongoing narrative because essentially that's that was his 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 true girlfriend as opposed to her you know in in the uh, in the ongoing comics. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, like the like I said, the Quasar issues, my eyes kind of glazed over a little. And then when it became a subplot that wasn't really like involved with Galactic Storm, I even like they doubly glazed over. So I'm kind of struck by the fact that like the MCU Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, is essentially just binary and binary is boring and sucks. So I'm not <laughs> surprised that I think that movie sucks, too. So but yeah, I don't know. Well, she's just got, like, the chip-on-her-shoulder attitude, and, like, you know, she's, like, hostile to people who want to, like, help her, so kind of draws you away from the character. Well, and there's there's also that, that le- it's it's weird, like, she, she she's not willing to let the Earth Sun die, and she has all these connections to Earth, but yet she decides to live a gazillion billion miles away from Earth and concerns herself with the interstellar affairs of the Shi'ar Empire. Like, like, which is fine, but it's just like, it's like one of those things where uh, that's one of those things that reminded me of, of kind of the, the vibe you get even in, you know, Endgame in the MCU, where it's like this person is so distant from terrestrial affairs that, you know, I, I don't know, like, like, like you either you either have to have a story where those terrestrial affairs are some kind of analogy for maybe uh, modern day problems or or obstacles or what have you. And and maybe you uh, empathize and or personify some of the alien species and all that other stuff. But like, I I don't know, there's that level of not, not even I don't just to me, it's not even like um, nefarious or or um, what would you say like that she's um, I don't know that that there's a, a certain level of uh, arrogance or whatever it is like uh, you know but I, to me it's just this level of obtuse distance you know where it's just like like you're you're on 
call for the Shi'ar Empire, but you, you're surprised when they don't care about your home planet's son? Like, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like th that character had so many conflicted loyalties and everything. It's like, I don't know. Like, they just... I guess it doesn't surprise me that they're kind of messed up, you know? Because it's like, dude, pick a side. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. It's just very strange. But then, but then she does this, like, mega super duper heroic thing and in any other comic like you should be impressed or touched or you know like be have a sense of awe of the level of of feet or sacrifice that she's making and i don't get that at all like i it's just like damn isn't it isn't it convenient that quasar's got some broad to like suck up all the antimatter whoo Thank God. All right. Well, what's going on with Quasar? You know, like I just, I just don't give a shit about binary. Yeah. Do you, do you have any um, counter opinion, Justin? Like, do you? I, I mean, because I know there's some aspects of of uh, Carol Danvers. I mean, I've, I've liked certain comics of hers as well, right? But I, I don't know. Just for some reason, her as binary just never, never hit with me. Yeah, I, I like her as miss marvel but i don't know but it seemed like her binary powers were always like ill-defined and changing like it, they always they it always suited like whatever, whatever was... the situation mm. yeah or, or they were always like oh my binary powers are going out oh my binary powers are overloading what am i gonna do is it, it was always something with that and i mean you know, you and I are secret brothers. We like space stuff. So you yeah. think like seeing Carol Danvers in space and this, like, like like that would somehow improve. Yeah, but not really. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Like I yeah. don't. I don't. I don't even really know how to quantify it. Like like the the very act of this. Like like if Superman did what Binary did, I would be sitting there fist pumping and telling everybody <laughs> what what a great MF for Superman was and all this other stuff. But then Binary does it, and I'm just like I it just there's something about it that feels so distant and so lifeless and so just, I, I don't know, empty. And I, I don't know what that is. You know, it's just, it, and, and, and the funny part is like, like yourself, I mean, there, there were certain, you know, uh, what, like the Brian Reed, Miss Marvel series. Like I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. So I, I don't have a problem with the character, right. Or at least, the, you know, that that version of the character but it just seemed like i don't know th th there probably was that weird aspect where there was a level of distance because it was you know like i don't know a claremont character that most people tried not to touch but now that claremont's long since left the x-men and 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 has no claim to carol danvers there's probably an aspect of like nobody knows what the fuck to do with this character and there's not that consistent guiding light in in one author or author or whatever you know like so I, I i don't know though you know i just it's like i'm glad quasar got his finger sandwich and that's that's basically it director fury the internet is besieged with lame lifeless podcasts what we need is a hard charging foul mouth band of brothers with chemistry big brains on comics and personality Personality goes a long way. What we need is the Marvel Superheroes Podcast. I'm the Legal Machine. Diablo Frank. And I am Mr. Fixit. The Marvel Superheroes have arrived! Nick, internet!
podcast off motherfucking iTunes. The Marvel Superheroes podcast can also be found on Shout Engine, Stitcher, the Internet Archive, and on Rolled Spine Podcasts blogs. Part 18, Wonder Man issue number 9. Title, Big Decisions. The cover date was May 1992. The on-sale date was March 10th, 1992. The cover price, again, was $1.25. Writer, Gerard Jones. Penciler, Jeff Johnson and Stephen J.B. Jones. Inker, Dan Pinotion and Bud LaRosa. Letterer, Patrick Rousseau. Colorist, Joe Rosas. The cover credits, penciler Jeff Johnson and inker Terry Austin, editor Fabian Nicieza. Wonder Man and the Vision fight off the scroll hijackers aboard the Negabomb. Simon finds a way into the heart of the vessel, but the Vision announces that he intends to let the scrolls succeed in destroying the Kree galaxy. With no emotional compunctions, the Vision sees no logical issue with Kree genocide. His directive is to protect the Earth, and the Kree are a threat to the Earth. Wonder Man fights him on this, while the rest of the spacefaring Avengers converge on the Negabomb and fight off the Scrolls. Despite their efforts and Wonder Man convincing the Vision to stand down, a massive portal to the Negative Zone breaches containment and explodes. I'm, I'm going to go back to, uh, aside from Greg Capullo, like this to me, I felt this way when I was a kid. I still feel very strongly about this. This is some of the best art in the entire crossover. If, if, if I, if I had a magic wand and I could do whatever, like I, I, I might have Jeff Johnson do the entire galactic storm, which I know was impossible, but if I could, you know, like twinkle my genie nose or some shit, like I, I might, I might go ahead and do that because I love it. Like I, that that cockpit splash or the the double splash of the cockpit with with you know it's like Goliath, Crystal, Cersei, Hercules, and Iron Man and 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 Black Knight all kind of looking dumbfounded and everything. Like that's awesome. Like I I really really like that. So there's there's that aspect where I'm just very enamored with the art and the style in this chapter i also find it kind of interesting like because like it, it you, you will we'll find out more about this in the final chapter but it's interesting to me that the i guess emotionless vision and the supreme intelligence almost come to the same conclusion for different reasons like like i or they have different motivations or whatever but i mean they both kind of are like being very uh, methodical and emotionless about the Negabomb, you know? And, and so like that I thought was, was kind of interesting. I do think the way Wonder Man or Simon convinces Vision to stand down is stupid. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but th my, my take on it is Wonder Man says, bro, you can't make decisions on death because you've never been dead before. But I have. So I know what's best about bombing the hell out of people. And I'm just kind of like, so wait, so you're saying that you know more about death because you died, but Vision doesn't because he hasn't died? Like, I'm, I'm just kind of like, don't most, like, don't 
are, most people don't die. So, but they still have to make decisions about life and death. So, like, I don't know that 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 to me was, you know, I I get that they're trying to have this, you know, moral argument and moral dilemma and all this other stuff. But I I I kind of thought that the ultimate. The, the the ultimate resolution to that or the ultimate final word on that was funny because I was like, wait, so since you've been dead, you know more about death. But I'm like, not everybody gets the same opportunity as Wonder Man to die in Avengers nine and come back. Right. So I don't I, I don't know. But maybe maybe um, maybe you guys have different thoughts on it. No, it, it kind of reminds me of like Spock and McCoy's conversation in Star Trek four where McCoy wants to talk to Spock about death and the afterlife and spock's like well you know you kind of have to like have died to discuss death <laughs> mccoy's just like flummoxed by the whole thing that's kind of what it reminds me of but yeah it, it is kind of a i don't know i always thought vision arriving at his solution and deciding to fight wonder man like like he decided that was the best course of action instead of i don't know trying to reason with him i mean i mean i know it's a comic book and you know they got to fight for entertainment, but I don't, it just seemed like a weird decision for Vision, even in his like current emotionless form, to like reach. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of you, you would think that even if he doesn't like have those emotions to tie it with, like he'd he'd think like, well, you know, maybe did no one tell him that you know, well, Avengers wouldn't sanction this kind of action, like you know, Captain America certainly wouldn't, like no matter how logical you think it is. So, yeah, maybe there's a logic to the logic that if Cap doesn't do it, maybe I shouldn't do it. But I don't know if Vision would see that as emotion based or not. But you know. That that is that is an interesting concept. Like if 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 your if your if your leader wouldn't sanction it, then is it logical to come to that conclusion on your own? Right. I I, I guess the other thing I can go back to because I'm looking at it now is that moment with the the scroll leaders uh, or the scroll captain and some of the guys are like, well, do we do we just detonate the bomb now? Like, do we all sacrifice ourselves? And there's that moment where the the captain's like, are you insane? I never volunteered for a suicide mission. I have a family to think of, you know? And I, I don't know why, but again, I, you know, I know it's not written by Peter David, but I, I feel like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the, 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 that him and Gerard Jones come from that same school, or at least in terms of writing, right? Like that there's there's that aspect where they're, 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 it's it's slightly funny and it's also i don't know like like tongue in cheek you know like like we're you know it, it's that whole like we're defying your expectations because you expect that you know if, if you make all these guys kamikaze you know for the cause type characters but it's like i guess it's supposed to be refreshing like the guys like sacrifice ourselves fuck no i don't want to do that you know it's like and then and then you're kind of like oh well the scrolls, the scrolls are, you know, quote unquote, human too, right? Like the scrolls are, you know, they, 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 they have their wants and needs, and 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 there's there's that aspect, and and I guess in some degree it does alleviate responsibility from a lot of different parties when you know the the bomb gets set off, pretty much due to the events of no one person in particular, right? It's not like it's not like somebody's gonna uh, be hunting down you know, any one person that was involved in this, right? 
Well, I will take that as the shocked look on all the Avengers faces when the nega bomb goes off. And then, you know, Hercules has a has a uh, completely mad, different mad max mad max girl on his face for some reason. Yeah, it's a completely different breathing apparatus than the others from the yeah. other issues. So Yeah. And there's no there's no dialogue to explain that. But um <laughs> Maybe so he the, just grabbed it off some Kree soldier. Yeah, he just grabbed it. You know. <laughs> So we we are we are here pretty much. We're at the final chapter of Operation Galactic Storm, which is part 19. The title is Empires, and the cover date was May 1992. The on-sale date was March 17th, 1992. The cover price was a whopping $1.75. Writer was Bob Harris, penciler Steve Epting, inker Tom Palmer, letterer Bill Oakley, colorist Gina Going Rainey, and the editor was Ralph Macchio. The Negabomb explodes, destroying the Kree Empire and killing billions in the the process. On Chandelar, Lalandra is informed of the Kree's demise, but sheds tears rather than celebrate Shi'ar victory. Woo-hoo. Quasar, momentarily stunned by the blast, awakens to find Iron Man, Cersei, Black Knight, Hercules, and Crystal floating lifelessly in space. Thor and the rest of the Avengers arrive in the Quinjet to retrieve them. But luckily, Star Fox is able to revive the comatose Avengers thanks to Cersei's eternal trickery. Meanwhile, on Hala, Deathbird finds Captain America among the ruins. The Supreme Intelligence reveals orchestrating the detonation of the Negabomb as a means to overcome an evolutionary dead end among the Kree people. Deathbird rages, but Captain America just says to leave him be. The Avengers touch down on the planet, and while making their way through the wreckage, they encounter Captain Atlas and Dr. Minerva. Atlas blames the Avengers for the destruction and attacks them. They are subdued, and Captain America and Deathbird appear and reveal the truth, including Minerva's knowledge of the Supreme Intelligence's plan. Atlas prepares to self-detonate, and with his final words, asks the Avengers to make the Supreme Intelligence pay for what he has done. They must pay for what they have done. Minerva embraces Atlas at the last moment as they both explode in a flash. The Black Knight proposes that they kill the Supreme Intelligence while Captain America angrily disagrees and a division forms among the ranks of Avengers. Iron Man, Black Knight, Hercules, Vision, Cersei, Wonder Man, and Thor head off to end the Supreme Intelligence. Crystal, Star Fox, Captain Marvel, Goliath, Living Lightning, Quasar, and Scarlet Witch side with Cap and stay behind. Deathbird wants to join the Black Knight's group of Avengers, but Iron Man tells her to butt out. This is for Avengers only. No shawarma for you! They reach the Supreme Intelligence, who creates constructs of the Grim Reaper, Ultron, the original Thor, the Nathan Garrett, Masters of Evil, Black Knight, Cerebus, Crow, and the Mandarin. The so-called renegade Avengers quickly defeat the constructs and destroy the screen to reveal an organic life system, which stops Thor from continuing to join the others in destroying the Supreme Intelligence. Dane stabs and kills the brain unit of the Supreme Intelligence with his laser sword. The renegade Avengers return to their reluctant teammates as Empress Lilandra and the Shi'ar arrive on the planet, 
claiming it for their empire. Lalandra names Deathbird Viceroy of Hala. Captain America wishes Empress Lalandra luck, but remarks that things between the Avengers will never be the same. And that is how pretty much we'll, we'll talk about some of the aftermath stuff, but this is pretty much how Operation Galactic Storm ends. There's kind of a lot to uh, talk about, I think, in this one. I remember this was something that was kind of debated frequently at the lunch table when this came out. Like, did the Avengers have the right to do what they did? And, you know, like, what what exactly was the Supreme Intelligence? Like, was he a living organism? Or was he, you know, was he more machine than man? Like, what, you know, if, if they just killed an AI, like, that would be okay, right? But if they killed a cyborg with organic components that that would be murder and this was something we like discussed and argued like at the lunch table for for quite a long time i don't know about you Derek. Can, you had those can, discussions can can i ask did it matter to anybody in the discussion that the supreme intelligence was not dead by the end of this and gets zapped into a little spaceship to go you know start his you know resurgence somewhere else or whatever no, I don't. I don't think we discussed that part exactly. Okay. I think we were more focused on like the, you know, the decision and the uh, consequences, or you know, right, both. right. Okay, okay. I mean, you know, that that that's worth. You know, I mean, it, that that's kind of how it's presented, at least at the forefront. There, there is that cynical part of me that's kind of like, well, the fucking guy isn't dead anyway, so who the fuck cares? <laughs> you know, like that. There's that. There's that aspect where it kind of bums me out that he's not really dead because it's comics and nobody dies and you know immediately like i i i'm pretty sure like there was an imperial guard miniseries and the supreme war was in it and then after that you know you got all these other you know events and and comics where the supreme intelligence returns so you know th this death was not long lasting i think the 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 motivations behind it i guess because later on they revealed that this race the rule it's like r-u-u-l like are the result of the supreme intelligences i guess breakaway from the kree evolutionary dead end like the rule are the result of this negabomb detonation like that they're this superior you know i don't know advanced version of the kree but whether or not that stuck i mean i, I think still in comics you know, a lot of times things uh, rubber band back to basics and the basics are the Cree, right? So I, I don't know, you know, to me, I think the the rule were in that maximum security event, but I can't think of them, you know, significantly remaining. Either Cree didn't end up looking like those characters, and I don't think those characters played a big role in any other events after maximum security so again i guess going back to the you know cyclical reset you know cynical nature of having read comics for a long time you know the 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 supreme intelligence himself in the course of the story uh, one could argue is thinking uh, generationally thinking you know uh, long term you know thinking of of millennia of evolution right and and you could argue well maybe maybe we can't live long enough to see the fruits of what he was 
he was aiming for. But there is that part of you in comics that wants to see, like, well, dude, they, he blew up a whole fucking, you know, entire galaxy for this shit. Like, can can I see what was so what was worth it? You know, like what was so cool about it? And I mean, we get to see a little bit of that, but I, I, I don't know that it was anything super fulfilling or whatever as far as that goes. But I mean, the the story in and of itself, I mean, you know, the, you, you have kind of these on the nose comparisons, right? They compare the the negabomb detonation to Hiroshima. I, I think it's in terms of why Wonder Man and the Vision survived because they were at the heart of the blast and they compare it to survivors of Hiroshima who were in a certain building that was at the heart of the blast and they did not, uh, they, they weren't affected by the blast because they were at the very, very center of it or something. And um, and so the, the the comparison is supposed to explain why Wonder Man and Vision weren't totally atomized when the nega bomb goes off. You know, I, I guess I've kind of made my feelings on this known. I mean, if I was at your lunch table, I probably would have said that I agreed with Black Knight. You know, like, let's, you know, let's kill the scum. Fuck this guy. You know, like, like, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I don't even know that I care so much about whether it's that there's some kind of moral dilemma or whether it's right or wrong or whatever. Like, like uh, I, I think just purely from a less of an emotional reaction to it. Like, do you want the Supreme intelligence to do this again? Cause if you let him live, odds are he's going to come up with some other fucking hokum plan to blow shit up and, and, and do uh, untold damage. If he thinks it will benefit his species right or or whatever he perceives as a positive so i mean i i think i i do tend to fall in line with the thinking of like let's stop this so that it never happens again and and the the idea is you know that they you know they put an end to him i also think it's funny that like there is some attempt at rationalization like it basically it's okay to um you know, it's okay for Superman to, you know, super speed the cyborg Superman into a gabillion pieces or whatever. Or it's okay to, uh, you know, I don't know, blow up Brainiac or some shit because they're just a robot. But, you know, usually what happens in those is the brain module survives. They reform and start to shit all over again. And in this case, there is a brain module. And the brain module turns out to be somewhat organic, right? And it's like, well... I, I guess my reaction to that is so like, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, you know, the, to me, it's like one of these things where I, I think Cap's idea is that somehow there's going to be a trial and, um, and the Supreme intelligence is going to be held accountable for his crimes. But I mean, I'm pretty sure if Cap, it's funny because I guess, I guess if you're going to that, that argument that you guys were mentioning, the, the the whole Cap never killed anybody in World War II thing. You got to think about it too. Cap never, quote unquote, lived to see the end of World War II. So thus, he he wouldn't have seen the war criminals put on trial, and he wouldn't have seen war criminals get executed for their crimes. Right? Like 
So I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're basically, you know, sidestepping the red tape, but I mean, I, I do you think like if there was a, a tribunal where Lalandra and, and I don't know, the, the, the scroll empress or whoever was in charge at the time. And, you know, when, when Bendis does his stupid giant cosmic social meetings and fucking Jason and, and all these other assholes get together and have a, a big galactic trial. Like, do you think they wouldn't all fucking decide to execute the Supreme intelligence anyway? Like, I, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, that's I was I was going to ask, would Cap have a problem with it if they gave the Supreme Intelligence the trial and they decided to, they found him guilty and put him to death? I mean, would that like satiate his like conscience? Like, I don't yeah, know. I don't I, I, I feel like that's very um, semantic, you know, like like I don't know, like that's that that's my take on it. I, I, I think that's semantics. It's like it's it's, it, you know, I. But part of me too, though, feels like th- there's that there's that weird aspect where they they have lines of dialogue like this, especially once Cap leaves the team. About you know, I think Cersei says something like, "Oh, that guy's anachronistic. Like he doesn't know how the real world works now, and all this stuff." And and maybe we'll discuss this or discuss further with the aftermath. But you know, Tony comes to talk to Cap, and and he asks for forgiveness for armor wars and and galactic storm and all this stuff but he he kind of voices this i don't know like a self shortcoming where he says look man i'm not like you i'm not perfect but we all love that you're trying to be like and nobody's trying to stop you from doing that like you be you but we're not you like we can't we can't do what you do and and like I, I sort of, I mean, th- th- there's something about that that I can be appreciative of. Like, I like Captain America, but I don't like Mister Cap. Like, like, like to me, like th- this whole divide, like, seems very ego driven and and self manufactured, you know. But I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some people feel differently because you know, it, it's that you know. I mean, it, it's funny because to me. Like that, this reminds me of, you know, a lot of people's reactions when they saw the Zack Snyder Man of Steel movie was outrage and they wanted to get up and walk out of the theater and all this other stuff. They couldn't stand that Superman snapped Zod's neck. And I've always been like that where I, I, I saw that and, and my reaction was, thank God, like, thank God he snapped that fucking asshole's neck and I didn't have to hear any mealy mouth. Mr. Cap semantic fucking horseshit about why that isn't allowed. This fake comics code horseshit about that heroes don't kill people when pre-comics code Archie fucking comics Comet was flying people as high in the sky as he could and dropping them till they splatted because they were crooks or Batman was cracking people's necks with his fucking bat toe or or shooting them in the you know face or whatever it was that he was doing back then with that gun right and and so for me like i think even when i was this age when i was reading this and even even younger than this like i i never really cottoned to the whole idea that that there's a code and heroes don't kill and you know it, it just becomes stupid it's like it's like the 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 batman begins thing like 
you know, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. You know, and it's just like, okay, well, then it's just semantics. It's just it's just this arbitrary thing so that somehow you've decided there's a certain line you won't cross and that helps you sleep at night. And and um, I don't know. I just, you know, I mean, I, I get the idea that like when they show up, like one of the things that I thought was interesting was, you know, uh, Masterson Thor you know, kind of says like, wow, you know, maybe I'm, I'm again, the, the new guy, right. I'm, I'm new to this. I'm the new hero on the block, but all this death and destruction and everything, like it's really getting to me. And Hercules says, you know, he questions, he's like, maybe I'm not cut out to be an Avenger or a superhero if I can't stomach all this death and destruction. And Hercules has this great line where he says, nay, yours is a noble soul. And true friend, Eric, on the morn you doth gaze upon such carnage and not be sickened to thy very soul, that will be the day you should come to me and leave our staunch friendship. You know, and I'm I'm just like, you know, they all feel it. You know, like like there's a, a sense of indignation and outrage and and they're appalled at what what went down. And and to me, I I don't know. I, I guess I just I, I find it weird that like certain characters are so appalled they want to take action, but then other characters I, I I would imagine they're just as appalled, but then they draw this line and say, No, that's wrong. And then and then you wonder, like Mike wonders, like, well, if if there was a tribunal and they ordered him executed, like would would they would they be okay with that? Like like would would that be fine? Like I, I you know, I I don't know. Like cause cause you you ultimately wonder like what what else is the end result of of something like that? You know, like like I mean, the dude killed billions of people, like billions of people. Like, I don't know. It's just yeah, it's funny. So anyway, I'm I'm Team Black Knight. You know, so that's and and I would I would kick everybody off your lunch table and tell them Team Black Knight, and if they didn't agree with me, and to go f off. You know. <laughs> Again, like I said earlier, I think Busick, like, retconned, oh, like, oh, Kang was the one who made Iron Man want to do this or whatever. But, like, I think it's in character for him, and I, I think it's something he would think, like, you know, as pragmatic as he was at that time. And then I think, like, they've doubled back and, like, or or maybe they didn't even, like, you know, remember, like, that Civil War one shot when Cap and Tony have their talk and Cap brings this, like, situation up again and you know they tony's still not apologetic for it but cap's more angry that like tony like you know took like tony took charge i guess like he's more angry that tony made an a decision on behalf of the entire group see that that's why that's why i kind of i don't know that, that's kind of why i think it's ego you know but 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 it's weird how how they 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 do in that aftermath. Like I don't think I'm going to go into too many synopses about the aftermath, but we'll just talk about it. But in in Cap 401, they meet at a bar, and like Cap recognizes, he says, "I know how hard it was for you to come and meet me at a bar," you know. And I I think it's because you know Hawkeye's trying to help Cap blow off some steam, and I think Cap's all butt hurt because nobody's coming to his lecture on superhero ethics and shit. So it's like, you know, nobody, nobody that he thinks needs to hear the lecture is attending it. But I'm like, I, I, I kind of wonder too, again, 
what what does he hope to accomplish with that? He's going to convince them not to kill the next dictator who kills billions of people and instead send them to a trial where they probably will be, you know, they'll render a verdict where they'll be sentenced to death anyway. Maybe like, maybe he maybe Cap needs to read those what ifs and see the the situation from Well, the, and and that that act. that's what's funny too cuz those what ifs like he quickly I mean uh, enough see that that's what I think is funny is is Cap has the luxury of saying we don't kill anybody, and and you might even like want to like stand on his side because uh, you know who who has died on the Avengers team in Galactic Storm, like anyone, like they 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 they, they pull a lot of um, Naruto's in this. You know, they pull a lot of like, oh, my God, Quasar's like, the Avengers are dead, Thor, dead. And then like two minutes later, whoop, no, we were just kidding. They're they're fine. They're alive. You know, it's like, oh, my God, Vision and Wonder Man, they're dead. Oh, wait, no, no, they're they're fine. They're fine. They're they, they survived, you know, and the only person who, who dies in this like legit dies is Atlas. And he blows himself up because he's so like he's so disgusted. You know, like, and it's like, I, I feel like that's just the, the final nail, you know, like that, that's why Dane's like, dude, you heard him. Like he said, don't, don't, you know, make sure he pays for what he did. And you're like, how can you, that, that it's almost like, dude, that guy killed himself and that's his dying request for himself and the, the billions of other people who have died, you know, like, so I, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't see the uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm a jerk face, but I don't I, I, I don't, you know, see like that there's there's anything to, to to me. Like, I don't think I would apologize for that. But but Iron Man does come in and they, they do have kind of a, you know, a, a coming to terms like he he asks for forgiveness. Like he he doesn't say he'd take it back, but he's like, can we get past this? Can you forgive me for this? And and it seems like at least in that issue, they they come to some kind of understanding to keep the, you know, to keep the comic status quo, so that they're not you know, butthurt at one uh, at one another for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? Like so, I I, I don't know. You know, but but this. This is one of those things where I guess a lot of people would would have arguments over it. You know, there's I'm sure there's that subsect of people that are, you know, anti uh, Superman snapping Zod's neck and Man of Steel. And and they would all stand with with Cap and his crew that stay behind. But you, you know what my problem with that is like that's like that's like protest like and the protest does nothing like they just hang back. And I'm like, what? So. You hung back. It's like if you really felt that strongly about it, because because they have that opportunity. I forget who it is, if it's Quasar or somebody, but they're like, hey, Cap, should we go after them? Should we stop them? And then Cap says, nah, nah, nah. And it's like that's that's my problem with, um, you know, has always been my problem with Civil War. Like you have to understand if if what if if the. If the goal you're you're fighting for this this no killing thing is so important, like you're you're gonna have to fight over it and you're gonna have to burn some bridges over it. It's not gonna be solved with a fucking 
ethics meeting where everybody sits down in the folding chairs and you give them a lecture. You're, you, I mean, you know, the, 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 it's, you know, and, and, and the stuff that sucks about at least civil war, at least is they, they, they go through all this damage and property destruction and crap. And then cap surrenders. And you're like, well, then it clearly wasn't that important. You know, like, like if, if, if you couldn't, if you couldn't hang with the consequences of of the the choice that you made, the line you drew in the sand, and and I feel like that you know th- this is one of those things. He knew he couldn't send Avenger to fight Avenger over killing the Supreme Intelligence, so he let them do it. But then he's going to sit there and be all you know stew and be mad about it. But I'm like, if it was that important then you should have sent people after and you should have stopped them. And then you could have sent them to trial and then said, see, this is how you do it, mister. You know, but he didn't do that either. So scene that I really like that addresses this kind of like debate is in John Barber's Transformers run when Optimus executes Galvatron, because I think he puts it perfectly where he says like, like if I were selfish, like I wouldn't do this. Like this, it would be selfish of me not to kill you basically. Like, and yeah. that's, that's pretty much what I agree with. Like it, this is like, it's like Optimus recognized that like, if I wanted to like, you know, save my own conscience, like, you know, that would be me being selfish. Like, you know, so yeah, like I, I firmly believe, yeah, that, that I was on team, Black Knight. I'm going to say Team Iron Man because I'm I've never been a fan of Black Knight. But like, yeah, he was in he was in the right here. Did you? Um, I was going to ask Justin about this when you when you were reading the Avengers. You 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 kept reading like you you were reading this whole run, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So like, wh- what was your take on some of the fallout from this? Like when um, do you remember when um, when Raza comes back and they they hire the Star Jammers to to kill black Knight over this and like, Oh yeah. You know, and then, and then there's also the aspect where, um, you know, I was trying to figure out because we, this might be something fun to just talk about just a little bit, but, um, you know, basically the, you know, cap eventually, you know, steps down as chairman and all that other stuff. But then there was a guy, um, here, his name's Galen core. And, and he's, he was a, a Cree, I think, like admiral or some shit and they basically made him up like like after the fact right you, you he was never in galactic storm but i was sitting there um looking at uh the you know mike made the hint at it way 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 in the beginning of the show but there's a there's a avengers in a galactic storm arcade game that was as far as I know, never in the U.S., but I think it was like in the U.K. or something like that. I remember it took me forever to get the right um, ROMs to put it together or whatever, right, to, to play it on a MAME emulator. But the the game itself, you, you could play, you know, a, a number of Avengers characters. And mostly it was it was not from the Chiar perspective. It was, the, you know, Avengers were fighting the the Kree warriors and stuff like that. So you could you could be Captain America, you could have an assist from Iron Man, and you could fight Shatterax, and Shatterax could have an assist from the Kree Sentry or something like that. And um, there was a, a one of the characters you fight is this like guy with a cybernetic eye, and he's got these guns, and I'm like, who the fuck is that? Like he wasn't in 
Galactic Storm. Like, I recognize, you know, Shatterax. I recognize the Kree Sentry. I recognize Ultimus. I recognize uh, Supremor. You know, like, all these characters, you know, from... I recognize Minerva, you know, and I'm like, who's this guy? And um, his name's Galen Kor, and he shows up later in the Avengers, and his backstory is, of course, he was, you know, horribly disfigured and 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 had that cybernetic eye and everything like when um when all this negabomb stuff went down so like he you know again just just like you know when when he hires the star jammers i think to to kill the black knight and then i think eventually he has his own little crew of pirates or whatever and and they want to attack the avengers and the black knight and stuff like that did you guys ever play that galactic storm arcade game like try to emulate it or anything. Uh, I, I've like that? watched some playthroughs of it. Like it's, it looks pretty middling as far as fighting games go. But like I, you know, it's impressive that it was made. I guess like yeah, I mean, I, I mean very, I, like it's weird though because it's like the costumes a lot of them the Avengers have are like newer than the ones they actually use in like Galactic Storm. Like Crystal has her white costume. Yeah, and she's like got the, black. Got black Knight's got jacket. his bomber. Yeah, Black Knight's got his bomber jacket. And then, like, and then the, the playable character is actually Thunderstrike, and Thor, yeah. the real Thor, is an assist character. Yeah, very odd. And yeah, like I like I the announcer is hilarious. Like he's so like over the top and like cherry. Um, well, when, whenever they call like in an assist, like the announcer is like Iron Man, like you know Sentry, like you know like uh, uh, Ultimus. I, I know a lot of people get down on that game, but I mean, it's made by Data East, who made the Captain America and Avengers game. So I feel like it's kind of like the missing link between Captain America and the Avengers and Marvel versus Capcom, you know, because it's like it's got all the, you know, thank you, Quicksilver type like, you know, audio in it. But then it also it also kind of has those like, you know, berserker barrage rushes that Cap does in the fight and. You know, like that that kind of stuff with the combos and 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 super moves and all that stuff. want to say anything uh, about the story overall like do you have any final thoughts is there anything else that that you noticed as a follow-up like that uh, galactic storm had you know in terms of you know additional comic storylines or anything i'm happy to have finally read the whole thing i mean it's just i don't know i i have a lot of nostalgia for this era this era of avengers and comics in general i guess because it's around the time when I really started buying stuff month to month. But I don't know why. I just never really bothered to sit down and read every every single issue, even though I enjoy it. You know, I I like most of the artists and writers that are involved. I remember reading the Cat 401 issue, and I, I remember thinking, like, there was going to be big, big, big-time fallout from this, and you would see a reorganizing of both Avengers teams like the 
team lineup would change drastically. Like that's what I thought going in because it seemed like that's what usually happened, especially when you've got you know double page spread of like every Avenger that was involved throughout the whole thing like there at a meeting. But the only thing that really happened was like Quasar left. <laughs> that's like that's you know as far as I know that's the only thing that happened unless someone left in Avengers West Coast or something. But no, but I, I, I think that's kind of interesting too because Quasar's aftermath is you know he 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 leaves the avengers he he goes off into space because he wants to be a better protector of the universe but but one carryover from galactic storm is he encounters a being called the soul eater and apparently the soul eater was just chilling when the nega bomb went off so he he ate like the billions of kree souls you know so that that is one follow-up that immediately gets followed up in the subsequent issues of quasar so it's funny like cap says like when he's walking away from the avengers after they come back from killing the supreme intelligence like oh nothing will be the same like ever again but then like in you know the aftermath issue it's like oh no like him and tony patch things up more or less and i mean this will this will be a bone of contention for them for like years to come, but it seems like it doesn't affect them like one way or the other. Like they mm. they kind of kiss and make up for the time being. Well, I mean, at, at some point they do, even though nobody votes to have him step down in that issue. It's like eventually, he he's no longer an Avenger until it's convenient for him to be an Avenger yeah. again. You know, like so. I mean, there there there. I guess there's some some aspects where that that does shake things up just a little bit. I mean, I mean, for me, I guess my final thoughts would be, you know, I, I, I've made no secret like Galactic Storm is, is definitely one of my favorite Avengers stories. I, I think the reason why is that it really does combine all of my favorite things, which is space superheroes and brand new team ups and pairings like th those all kind of get my juices pumping and and it does deliver on all of those things. I mean, you know, for for one of those 19 part crossovers in the 90s, I mean, I I was always impressed that I was interested in getting all the parts of it and I thought, you know, that was due to the fact that I thought it was pretty cohesive. It was a 19 part crossover, but it was an Avengers crossover and most of the titles were Avengers books, whether they were solo characters or team books. So it, it to me, like, I, I guess I was doing a vision, but it had a logical semblance of, of sense to me. You know, they, it, it all makes sense because because they, you know, th those books should if you're going to have a crossover with a bunch of books, you know, it makes sense because they're they're all from the same family. It's not like it's not like, you know, it was like Punisher in Galactic Storm, you know, and you're like, what the fuck? Like, you know what? You know, like that is like not totally random or whatever. So, I mean, that for, for me, like this is th this is something I, I, you know, I wanted to give it its its uh, due diligence, you know, give it some good coverage, but also just, you know, kind of, you know, have fun for me it's it's revisiting but but i i was glad that you guys had the opportunity if you wanted to to you know read the whole thing you know either again revisit it or or read all the parts that you you sort of uh overlooked you know the first time around well well i'll i'll, I'll be frank like i i've never thought the kree scroll war like you know everyone says the kree scroll war was a classic and like 
I, I see like it's got some good bits, but I've never it's never been one of my favorite like Avengers stories. And it's the same deal with Galactic Storm. And, you know, me, I'm not big into like space stories, but like, I, I don't know, like if, if I had to pick a Avengers like space story that I liked like the most, like it'd probably be Infinity. Mm. Like so like the, the, this, like, you know, it has its moments. And I, I, I do like the whole like the debate at the end and like you no matter like what side i fall on i think it's an interesting thing for them to touch on but like i don't know like i i like after reading this like years and years ago i was like oh so that was it well like i was happy to have read it but like i i don't know maybe it wasn't exactly for me well, what about you justin what's your final take on all of this i like it i like it too <laughs> We we outnumber you. We we invoke founding fan hall <laughs> privileges on you, Mike. I'm gonna go kill. I'm gonna go stab Galactic Storm in the brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, me and Justin are just gonna sit here and do Jack's fucking shit. <laughs> no, I'm gonna go make out with Deathbird. You, can go <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, so, uh, something I did want to mention from this era of Avengers that, like, I, I don't think I've ever mentioned before, but like, you know, Derek, like you say, like, you know, like you like, you know, bad girls for like mm -hmm. Cap, so you like like Diamondback for Cap, and you know, like, like I always thought it was a shame that like they never did anything with like Cap and like Cersei. Like I thought mm -hmm. like Cersei would have been an interesting like sort of you know romantic interest for Cap. But, like, you know, she's always throwing herself at him, and Cap, like, treats her like she's got the plague or something. So, like, you know, well, I'm like... I mean, clearly they're not uh, they're not morally aligned. He's like, yeah. good God, woman, what have you yeah. done? You know? But, like, you know, if I, if I like, you know, if I if I had to pick a bad girl, like, for Cap, like, it, it probably would be Cersei, so... I mean, if I had to pick uh, a bad girl for myself, it would probably be Cersei. <laughs> Oh man, she 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 eats them and spits them out, though, man. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I guess if that's it, I mean, this is this has been a a coverage of the 30th anniversary of Avengers Operation Galactic Storm, 19 part epic crossover with all the Avengers titles. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? And if you want to check out the backlog of episodes, you can do so over on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com where you can direct download all the episodes. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, if you're like, how, how dare you suggest that we should kill the Supreme Intelligence, you can send your angry, angry emails to fanholespodcast at gmail.com or you can just kind of sit there and not send any emails. And we'll never know about it. Um, if you if you uh, uh, want to uh, catch us on the old social medias, we're over on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We appreciate all the likes, hearts, shares, and retweets that we receive. We can be streamed. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, and Amazon Music. So until the next time, this is going to be... Derek, Derek WC, Mother Lovin' Creed, signing off. Hey, it's Mike, signing off. And this is Justin. Stupid binary. Stupid binary. This we can agree on that.
Get two, two angry caps yelling at a cat. 